Before we get into the podcast, I just wanted to take a second and say thank you to everyone for listening and that I hope you're all holding up well during these crazy times. I know a lot of us have had our performance and educational outlets taken from us with the recent cancellation of both WGI and DCI. For that reason, the Marching Arts Society is now offering its snare drumming course for the discounted rate of only $10 a month. So if you're a snare drummer who's looking to continue growing and progressing for what the future may hold, then you can access this snare drumming course at www.marchingartssociety.com. Now let's get into the podcast. What is up, everybody? This is Ryan Ellis, and you were listening to the Marching Arts Society podcast, episode number 16. In this episode, I interviewed Tom Rarick, a WGI judge and the percussion arranger for the Blue Coats Drum and Bugle Corps. We discuss how Tom and the rest of the design team at Blue Coats do what they do, as well as a breakdown of the WGI adjudication sheets and what it means to be an effective judge. So how did you, how did this get exposed to you originally? Just your interest in music? Uh, well, my, my father was a, he's a rear metal snare drummer. Like he marched to DCA, like senior corps stuff, which was pretty kind of even with DCI. Like in terms of like the profile thing, like in the 60s, 50s, 60s, it was kind of like, you know before DCI was a thing, you know, like, I guess it was, um, my dad grew up in that kind of in Western Pennsylvania, like in a, there's a lot, every town had drum corps and that kind of thing. And he, he marched, uh, for, for a long time from like the early sixties to right around the time I was born is when he kind of gave up marching, but he was, he was, uh, really fine, like rudimental snare drummer. And, um, so, and, uh, I mean, I didn't, I was always around it. So like, that was what we did in the summers kind of thing. We'd go to a show or two, that kind of thing and, and see things it was just always around kind of the drum work culture, but I was never, I didn't enroll in like band or anything like that until like seventh or eighth grade. I was like, um, I remember being at a, at a, like a middle, like a, a parade or something. And I saw like a middle school, the middle school band go by and some of my friends were in it playing drums. And I was like, mm-hmm. dad, you can teach me to do that. Right. Cause that looked kind of <laughs> cool. And he's like, I mean, if you want, if you want me to, like, <laughs> oh, so he didn't really so, push it on you at all. Not, no, not at all. I was just, it was just like uh, an activity we did as a family. Nice. Like we went to, we went to drum corps shows. So my dad grew up in it. My mom was, you know, part of it, like with the, you know, the wives that went around with the, you know, it was the whole, the whole thing that was their part of their culture. So I kind of grew up in it, I guess, I guess that way. So it was always, always there, but I never, um, I guess really, you know, embraced it till there was, you know, a light bulb moment or, you know, something that kind of went like, right. I think I might want to try doing that. You know, like it'd be kind of cool. So then my dad that, you know, he, he taught me like through, through high school and that kind of thing. You know, I, you know, did the usual route that most people do, you know, you go through, you know, high school, marching band, indoor, all, all that kind of stuff. And, um, I had a, it was a pretty competitive, like high school and good, good drummers. Actually a lot of coincidentally, this, it all comes full circle, but like the, the staff at my high school was essentially most of like the, the staff at my high school were on staff of the blue coats at the time. So who was they, that? Uh, well, the, my band director, Dave Rohr, he was a, a brass instructor there. Uh, Mark Gray was the percussion captain head at the time at the blue coats. Like this is like 87, 88. Well, yeah. I, 88 was my first year. Wow. And you said you graduated high school in 2013. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so at that time, there was actually a bus that went from Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is my hometown, uh, went from Carlisle to Canton for camps, like every, you know, back, back and forth, just because they, they tapped into that kind of resource base, like in central Pennsylvania, and a lot of the staff was there, that kind of thing. So, you know, coincidentally, that was the, the core that, you know, I had the most familiarity with, and there was, there was uh, probably half a dozen guys that I marched in high school with that marched in the summer, like at, at Bluecoats. 
so it was, it was I got exposed to uh, different things like that, but um, you know, uh, did that whole thing with the um, uh, went to college at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, IUP, um, and uh, really, really good, you know, marching band, percussion kind of thing. Got exposed to a bunch of different things there, too, um, different schools of thought. And, you were a you music know. major there, correct? I was, yeah. Performance? performance. Yep. I started out as, a, as education, and uh, I did some teaching around, like, after that, I was just get, kind of getting started with, like, teaching marching band, that kind of thing, and kind of saw a bit, like, what band directing really was, and, I mean... Hats off. It's a great profession. I just knew, like, looking at stuff, I wasn't passionate about, like, teaching clarinet. You know, right. I, knew, and I knew you had to be, you know, to be to be good at that. And, like, that wasn't – so I, I switched about halfway through my career there at, at, at IUP uh, to performance. So, um, so yeah, d- did all that uh, stuff and, you know, the whole, whole thing, you know, uh, drum set, concert, percussion, yeah. you know, all, all, all that stuff that, that goes along with that. Uh, pretty vibrant, like – a lot of guys that marched, you know, different places and, and that kind of thing. Really fortunate to have a grad assistant uh, at one point, Brian West, who's at TCU now, is the kind of oversees the percussion there. He's a percussion director at Texas Christian, but mm-hmm. he was he had just aged out of Blue Devils at the time and exposed me to the grid, the just a whole you know you know float the whole yeah. other other way of thinking about drumming. And it was like so I applied all the things. It was a, it was a cool mix of things that I had learned from my father kind of an East Coast kind of, well, you know, old school rudimental t- type thing and then mixing that with kind of kind of new stuff and just kind of began kind of mixing kind of influences and, you know, kind of a base of yeah. knowledge, you know, that way. So that, that was that was cool. And so what, what, what was your first summer of DCI? Uh, 1994. And, and, the Cadets. Okay. So I marched two, almost two years there at the, the Cadets played snare. And what was that like? Uh, it was great. I mean, it was, I mean, I knew from, I mean, I always, I, I saw the cadets a, a bunch, you know, like gr- growing up, but like, I remember <laughs> it sounds trivial now, but it was like, it was 89. It was the first year that like Tom Unks, I think took over like when Hannum had left or, you know, Unks and they had, yeah, it was the, one of the first years of like Kevlar heads and like everything kind of changed. It was a little bit more yeah. aggressive and it just, it spoke to me, you know, at that age at 14, 15, whatever, whatever that was. Um, and I just, you know, I remember having a realization of watching that drum line and going, that's what I want to do. And like, and then that became like the, the goal, you know, yeah. to, to be in that, wear that uniform, be in that snare line, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. And then, so after, how, how soon after your drum corps career ended, did you start arranging? Uh, well, I guess I, I mean, throughout college, I, I, I taught like a, at a local program, the kind of thing. I did a little bit of writing. I mean, to call it writing, it was it was great because it was like me and a couple of my roommates that taught, we were all percussion majors and, you know, excited, but like inexperienced. Yeah. And, and we just, we had like a local program. We, we got together, we literally sit down with paper and go, all right, so what do you think of for measure one? And we like write together, you know, I like can do, you know, and just go through. So I, I started that way. I mean, I'd always been kind of interested, I guess, and kind of observant with, with writing and just, you know, kind of hearing stuff or what I want to play. But that was my first like real experience with it. Um, so I guess after I aged out, had some teaching opportunities, like when I first moved to DC kind of thing and, you know, fortunate to, uh, I think get on staff with a program that was kind of, it was, it was not great at the time. It was a lot of like eager kids, great, good band director, but very inexperienced. They didn't know what they didn't know. Yeah. And neither, neither did I at that point. 
So it was a lot of like trial and error. It was like literally like I was the one guy like teaching the pit and the battery, like huddled up under a tree, like measure one, like did your music so well, like, okay, <laughs> one pit, measure one battery, let's put that together. Okay, measure two, like yeah, all that stuff. But but I was writing it and you could hear it and evaluate it and like have a personal connection with every note, you know, you know that way and see your errors or things you do differently or things you liked and that kind of thing. So that was a really formative experience as far as like working for several years there with those, with that group in particular, that kind of, it was a fortunate experience because you're, you kind of grew with the students. You were the same place in your arranging career that they were with playing. Yeah. I think so. So you kind of, they didn't know that you didn't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you just, you just cared a lot and were there all the time and, you know, and, and you know, it was, it was a good back and forth and a lot of great memories and, you know, yeah, that's awesome. Groundwork laid there for that. So, and it started do, doing a move to another program that was a bit more solidified, <clears throat> excuse me, solidified uh, with resources and, and kids, that kind of thing. And had and started doing a lot more front ensemble work. And that was right about the time I started working at uh, the Blue Coats, like doing the front ensemble. So, what year was that? Two thousand. Well, my first year teaching was two thousand one. I did like a couple weeks as like a snare tech and, at the Blue Coats. Yeah, a little bit of ensemble and just kind of utility. Kind of, it just kind of mm-hmm. came in, you know, a couple times. And then 2002, I started writing the front ensemble. And Definitely. how did how did um, who there offered you that job? Like, how did how did they know that you had the experience in the you know those? Yeah. So um, so again, from the central Pennsylvania like area, uh, there's a DCA group called the West Shoreman, who were somewhat linked to like the Crossman and Mark Thurston and that that area uh, that era. Of, of things very in that same school. Dan DeLong was the guy who ran that drum line. And uh, he was local. I never, my dad, dad would never let me march uh, senior corps when I was in high school. <laughs> I think he knew kind of yeah. what, what, what that whole scene was, you yeah. know, marching with 40, 50 year olds yeah. and the whole, you know, so I was always a little bit jealous about that because a lot of my friends did and that kind of thing. But I, I knew of Dan and like, he was, you know, an energetic kind of, you know, fun instructor and a really good, musician and guy but and long story short he ended up getting the gig when blue coats kind of re redid some things organizationally around 1999 2000 2000 he started writing uh became the uh, caption head at blue coats okay so so and then he was looking for some people to kind of fill in like some some, some time just piecing together a staff in 2001 and i was one of the guys that he called on on a recommendation and kind of some knowledge uh prior of just knowing each other and that kind of thing in my experience uh, at the cadets, I assume. And then, um, so just spent some time that summer, got to know some of the people, that kind of thing. And then when the opportunity came in 2002, I think Dan had called me for, he's like, Hey, I'm thinking about these couple guys, like to take over for the guy who w- was leaving. And I was like, it was one of those where I was just like, um, I don't have a ton of experience, but I'd love to take a shot. Like I, I've been doing this at the high school level and like, I've been kind of honing things and, you know, as well as I could. And, you know, so I was just, I mean, lucky that he had the trust in me to say, all right, well, we'll do this and, you know, kind of move it, move it forward that way. So. So you've been writing there since 2002. Yeah. I did the the, the front ensemble from 2002, 2008. And then, uh, excuse me. And then, um, and then everything since 2009. So it's been a long time. Yeah. So what what were those first couple of years like, like, because the blue coats is obviously a, very you know world-renowned organization and you had only had high school experience up until that point was that overwhelming absolutely yeah absolutely yeah um (laughs) well uh to make matters well better but 
make matters worse. Like that was the year we switched to innovative percussion uh, as far as you know, sticks and mallets, that kind of thing. And part of that, uh, I think Dan, you know, arranged it. So, uh, Eric Johnson would come in a couple of times and kind of consult with the front ensemble. And that was before I was even involved with the whole thing. And that was, that was a time where I was, you know, going through this like late nineties, early two thousands Cavalier stuff. And I was like, man, that is like, I don't even know how you do that, but like, that's what, you know, this should sound like, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and so again, extremely lucky that, he came in at the same time and he was extremely gracious and helpful and, you know, patient and, and all that. And just like in listening to the stuff I would do and have you thought about this and that kind of thing. The other part of that too, Scott Coder, who um, he's been a program coordinator. He was the early 2000s Cavaliers and he's now at Santa Clara. Um, but he was there at the time too. So and he's a percussionist and a, just a really giving kind of person that way just having those two guys go through like my first like stabs at writing for yeah. for a dci court you know like and from what they're coming from from like the cavaliers and that whole they kind of set the standard well certainly set the standard for front ensembles at that time um you know that was just a really fortunate confluence of, of events and i was standing there going all right I'm, I'm i'm ready to learn and you know like here's my best shot and like tear it apart and and then, you know, so it just kind of went from there. So that, the first couple of years certainly were learning experiences, you know, for that. And the core was in a different place. Obviously, they were they had not made finals in 99. They got back into finals in 2000. They brought like a new staff in and were just kind of doing that kind of build, trying to create some momentum and, you know, getting getting things together to kind of to try and be, you know, yeah, a, a steady kind of force kind of thing. So in a lot of ways that 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 kind of inertia paralleled my own, I guess, as I look nice. back on it. I never, never thought about that really, but you guys are both like in similar places. I, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. I was, maybe that's a theme. Like the yeah, first exactly. high, school, high school gig I had kind of grew with me. And then the blue coats were at a point where they were, they, they could afford to grow with me, I guess too. Cause you know, in, in my inexperience or just learning process, you know, with all that. So there's, I mean, drum corps, there's, there are, significant staff changes just about every summer, if not every couple of summers, but you've been with the same organization for yeah. a pretty good amount of time. So how, how does, yeah. how, how do you keep that relationship for so long? Well, I think it's, I mean, most of all, it's a philosophy. I think of the, of the, I mean, you know, you, you've been there. I mean, but like, you know, the people involved, you know, Dave and um, uh, now Mike Scott, uh, yeah. Genevieve, people that are just, I think it's, it's a, a lot of people throw the family word around, but it's really throughout the years. It's it's really it's a really close knit group of people. I think right. that, that that both make the decisions. They take all the decisions really seriously, and it's not based off a recap all the time. It's it's based off of the best fit for the for the students, for the vibe of the staff, for the overall goals of the core, which you know certainly are to do as well as we can. But it's not always, you know the only thing isn't winning. It's, 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 it's being a really sound organization that people want to be at and be, you know, and just enjoy being there. So, I mean, that, that culture has always existed and just kind of has developed, I think over the, over the time I've been there. Um, the other thing is just working with Doug, uh, thrower, um, as the brass ranger. And he and just got he, inducted, right? He did. Yeah. That's well, awesome. He's, yeah, he's one of my best friends and one of the, you know, the greatest and funniest guys. And like, I, I mean, I hit it off with him right away and we, we were able to grow too. Cause I mean, he, 
he started arranging there a bit before me. I forget when his first year was, maybe 97 or like late, late 90s sometime. But um, so he was and had taught there before that. So he was kind of entrenched, you know, in the organization before that. But we, you know, as the, again, as we're talking like the, the core was growing, like we, we kind of grew as designers with the consultants we brought in, kind of program consultants and feedback we get. And I don't know, we were just able to kind of develop our relationship and kind of a musical um rapport and friendship over those years so i think that's a just a it's a special thing that doesn't happen a lot because yeah. there's very few groups that get that you get that um benefit of working for somebody with you know for almost i guess for me it's now almost two decades now yeah so, that's awesome so and that makes a lot of sense i think you see that i'm not sure where that question started but i think that's i think that's kind of an answer <laughs> no it, you know that's, that's definitely yeah. the answer and i think that there yeah. that you bring up an interesting point of not not basing someone's occupation solely on recaps. Um, because I mean, that being said, yeah. obviously most of us, I would imagine are pretty competitive. Most of us want to do well competitively. Um, but there, yeah. there is a, you know, there, I think there is a bigger picture. And I think that when you have a staff like blue coats does, and you have the, the depth of the relationship that you guys have, I think that's why it's possible for you guys to create at the level that you are. And yeah. I actually, I, 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 what do you, um, who, who all is on the design team for Blue Coats? Okay. It's grown over the past couple of years. So I'm going to make sure I don't forget anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so, so, uh, uh, Dean Westman is a program coordinator. Okay. Uh, John Vanderkoff is the artistic director and drill designer. Um, so on the visual side of things, uh, I guess, uh, so Jim Moore is a choreographer. Uh, Greg Regola does the costume and design some, some, some choreography as well. Uh, and, uh, Michael Rayford does the set design. Uh, on the music side, it's myself and Doug. Uh, Matt Jordan is doing the um, electronics and sound design stuff and kind of music coordination. Uh, now Aaron Beck does our uh, kind of system design for the sound and uh, electronics uh, type stuff. And I think that's everybody. That is, that is, that's a lot of it's, I think it's nine people, but it's, yeah. Okay. But you guys, thought, yeah. you guys yep. have, um, I mean, I, I personally think that blue coats has severely innovated the, especially electronics side of the activity in just the past couple of years. Um, I'm not surprised right. at all that your guys team is that large <laughs> for that. Was that an intentional thing? Yeah. Like a couple, did you guys have a conversation a couple no. of years ago about wanting to push that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That was like, you know, I mean, every every design you have, I'm sure, as you're designing too, you're thinking about like what sets you apart from other groups and that kind of thing, or what angle you can take that feels authentic, but it's also something you're interested in pursuing artistically, you know. Mm. Um, so I think that was something that we thought we we had the right people to to do that, and I think that was most 2014 was the first year. Was that? That was till yeah, I was in that one. March, you March you March 14, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, 13 14, right? Yep, 13 14. Okay, right. Um, so that was like the first year that we yeah. really, even off, between you know, those two seasons, there was a mat, like a, if you observe those, oh, there's yeah. a huge shift going into 2014. Sure. 2013 was, a, was the bulk of the team that's here now, um, um, was there then. We've added a few pieces along the way and just kind of exchanged, like, I guess along the electronics front, I mean, as a sidebar, like the being fortunate, like when your your first year, Kevin Shaw was doing the electronics. Yeah stuff and electronics sounds like he's only doing that he's on the music design team and then vince uh oliver had been there from was there from 14 
2014 through this past year, 2018, and now Matt. So it's, uh, you know, three of the smartest people that I've yeah, <laughs> ever, ever, ever worked with. So it's, it's some of it's having the right people that really have, number one, have the skills, but also have like the vision to kind of pull that stuff off. Because a lot of people can program things, but I think it's another thing to have the right kind of taste level and, I don't know, just musical instincts that mesh with, uh, mesh with a team and, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, that's, 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 that's awesome. And I, so in terms of the shows, um, is, does everyone bring concepts to the table or is there a member of the design team that kind of front runs at least the origin of what that concept is? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no really set process or like kind of like restrictive lanes w w with all that. Um, I would say most times it's, it's finding like that one thing it's like, and it's usually from, yeah, it's Dean or John, or it could be a musical idea. Uh, we've, we've, we've done it both ways. We, we, things that Doug or I, or, you know, Vince a couple times, uh, in recent years has brought just like a piece of music that just spurs discussion. And then that branches off and it, you know, at some point pretty early on, it has to like couple with a visual idea or right. sort of, sort of conceptual thing that's bigger than music, but, um, yeah, but there's no real formula for it. It's not like a couple of people go away and talk about ideas and they go, okay, what do you guys have musically for this? Right. Yeah. We, we get in a room and just, we enjoy each other and, and, and talk and listen to music and talk about concepts and, um, not even concepts of just for shows, but more of just concepts of what could we do? Like we have all these tools, you know, and that, that was literally where I think tilt came from or like the electronics kind of angle to, to that show was like, we have all this stuff. What can we do with it that we're not doing? What's the next thing to, to do, you know, with, yeah. with all that. So it was that year it happened to be like kind of recording the horn line and just injecting that more consistently through the show as a, as a, I guess a third or fourth choir to the, to, to the ensemble. And then in 15, it was like continuing on that same path a little bit, but like, okay, can we add depth to that? We put speakers on the field yeah, and like, create you know, a sonic environment and have actually have sound coming from where it's originating, you know, yeah. make that more believable. Cause I think always the goal with things like electronics is you want to make sure it's, it's cool. Like the, the engineering of it is, is cool. But you want to make sure that it feels authentic in, in a way or is, yeah. or believability is, is yeah. pretty integrated into the rest of the pretty, natural sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty good word to, you know, if you don't, if you hear it and don't really believe it or just, it's a sound effect is a sound effect, but if it has a visual attachment to it that feels honest as much as it can, if it's being processed or manipulated in some way, but at least you can see it happening. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference there in terms of, you know, the impression that it makes on an audience member. So, yeah. And is, is your, um, is your, do you have like an active search for inspiration for these things? Is this like a thing you do intentionally or is it more like you're, you're just mind is open to this and th certain things happen and then you write them down or something? Uh, I mean, I think I'm maybe some guys do that. I, I, I don't, I guess really have a, like a list of things. Um, I guess I find it more like I you try and listen to different things. I try not to listen. I mean, I love the activity, but I try not to listen to like drone core shows too much. I see a lot of it, WGI and I see a lot of, I see a lot of quote unquote band, I guess right, throughout the yeah. year. And I guess in the time that I don't, you know, or I'm not in a stadium or, or, or a gym, I try and. You know, I'm, I'm sure still interested in, in watch things from time to time, but like try and not kind of immerse myself in that 
culture. And I, I guess listening to different, you know, different styles of music, different mediums of art, uh, that kind of thing that can inspire ideas and or just give you, I think, just ammunition for, you know, because yeah. I don't, I, a lot of times it just happened today too. It's something I was working on and um, it's like you're working on it and like, you're like, you get the something in your head, kind of like I, you, you had this isolated thing you thought like could be cool at some point. You had no idea how it fit, but like, and then it kind of things come full circle if they yeah. just make yourself available to them or just kind of keep it swimming around your head. But I think attaching to certain things or to uh, being too specific with your influences or just like listening to a piece of music and go, can I use this or can I, can I not? And then just discarding or that, I mean, you have to do that sometimes you're looking for something, but I think in general terms, um, just trying to listen to as much different stuff, listening to, I'm fortunate to work with some really talented people and that have a, a, a wide, you know, musical kind of influence base that I don't, you know, this different than mine, you know, um, mm. uh, in a lot of ways. So I try to listen to them, you know, like what they're listening to and, um, I don't know. Just anything outside of the activity. Yeah. So do you, do you intentionally not listen to jump course shows because yeah. you're afraid that it'll pull you that direction or something that you don't want to go? No, no, no. It's, I'm, no, I love the activity. It's not, not like I'm trying to avoid it, but I just, I, there's a, there's a danger I think of like listening too much to the medium you're trying to create in. I think just because you start replicating uh, yeah. things that have already been done or you're doing or, you know, it starts to cycle back on itself a, a little bit, I think. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, that, that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I've never thought about like a- actively ignoring some of it because I, I think I find myself in those positions sometimes as a designer, like I'll be in the middle of writing something and as I'm writing it, I can I, I can think of what I heard or saw that made me write sure. that for a previous show. And I'm like, oh, I can't do I, that now. I've got to erase that. Like, <laughs> uh, I've totally done that. I did that a couple of years ago. Actually, it was the year you marched, I think. It was a... Um, it was like halfway through the show. It was like a hemiola kind of like march thing that came off like the back, back sideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized that like uh, in 95, Tom Unks wrote something that was like really similar to that. <laughs> like the same, yeah, yeah. same same device. I remember I, I sent Tom like a, a text or an email and was just like, hey, I didn't mean to, but I kind of have this thing in the show that I like. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Do, you mind, do you mind if I <laughs> – he was like he, – he's like, I don't even remember that, but like go ahead and you know use it obviously. Yeah. Totally cool, but yeah, I have that all the time where it starts to kind of creep in your head. You have no idea where it happened, yeah, or yeah. where where it originated. But and I noticed in terms of the yeah. the, the <clears throat> large scale of musical influence, I noticed that a lot with your guys' show last year. That was like a style of music that was it felt yeah. very new to the activity. Who was that? Who who was who brought that to the table? I can't even remember. Well, honestly, it was more um, so. Wait, pull back the curtain a little bit. So back, I think it was thir- maybe in thirteen. Like the to, to look for America show was. Did you ever watch the HBO show called uh, Treme? No, I did not. It's it's based on New Orleans, kind of after Katrina, kind of thing. But there's, there's I recommend it to anybody because it's just really great music. It's a really great city that I know a lot about before I watched that and have since visited. But anyhow, um, we kind of started around those lines, like a show, like a New Orleans type show, and like kind of that kind of gritty like underbelly of you know i don't know there's a there's a honesty in it. something just fell on my desk um, <laughs> is your house haunted <laughs> it was literally the cleaning wipes that i showed you before oh, just, like, yeah. <laughs> tipped over some some books i put in there um we can edit that out. <laughs> no i'm leaving it in <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, whatever, 
Um, so so that, that, that show was about was, was originally about like you know, jazz, Americana, somewhere along those lines, the beginnings of you know, Congo Square, like, yeah. uh, you know, mixing of, of culture and, and music and, and all that kind of stuff. Somewhere along the line, it became something else, I guess, through our, our process. But that uh, New Orleans kind of idea, jazz itself, I guess, in some more authentic form than orchestral jazz, I guess, you know, that we hear a lot in the activity or, you know, if we do hear jazz at, at all. So that had been kind of percolating for, for a while, I get with, with, with all that. And I can't remember like what the piece was, honestly, that made us choose that show. Like, it seems like a long time ago. Now. <laughs> My head's in a totally different place. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. So that, I mean, that was certainly like a, like a leap, I guess, some different stuff, um, in terms, especially percussively, I thought, I mean, yeah. it translates really well brass wise. I mean, obviously it's written as, you know, um, melodic music for the, for the most part. And, you know, that was a, that was a challenging show from a percussion standpoint to, to put together. Yeah. It, it was kept, fun. I'm, I'm really proud of it too. And, but it's, it was one of those like where, it, uh, I guess, uh, just the accompanimental kind of nature of percussion in that, in that setting made things that felt, you know, gratuitous or things we would usually do like for points, you know, or things you, you know, kind of have to do like in, in the activity. It made those feel weird at times, you know, because everything was so stylized and so, um, I don't know, there's a storyline to the show. There was more, you know, loosely, there was a, a really strong sense of style, I thought. And, you know, oh, it, was a fun, it was a fun project for sure. So, so what, do you, sure. what do you mean when you say the, 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 the things you have to do for points? What are you referring to? Well, the, the more obvious, I think, things of technical displays, you know, like, you know, uh, acapella features, you know, that kind of thing that, yeah. you know, of, of battery segments, especially, um, virtuosic pit things, you know, that, I mean, there, there were, there were those in the show, but like, um, s- simple things like we had our vibraphones, you know, like, cause the, the pit setup thing, I was I'm sure it's going to come up cause it was on your, oh, on yeah. your list yeah. too. But like, you know, things we noticed too, just with like the, the pit setup too, like we had the whole beginning of the show was a kind of a, there's a couple actually vibraphone features in the show or just things that were all kind of characteristic jazz vibe t- type things that, you know, were cool environment. They never really kind of got credit, you know, for, yeah. for what, for what they, just cause it's, I don't know, it feels very comfortable, environmental. Oh, it's not what the att- activities used to. And that's not an indictment on the activity at all. It's just, um, just in retrospect, it's easier to see those things, yeah. I guess. Yeah. How so they're what- adjudicated. Talk through the the setup stuff because the past couple of years at Coates, it's been like the pit setup has been completely different every single year. And the pit, I mean the the front ensemble historically has uh, not from a musical aspect, but from a visual aspect has been removed from innovation. Yeah, it's been it's the same right. thing always. Um, and it seems like a very I mean unless I just I need to brush up on some of my history, but it seems like a very recent thing that that innovation is starting to exist. Both not only in D but also in WHI with with, with for sure. The, the you know potential yeah. restaging of front ensembles or movement of front yeah. ensembles or whatever. So um, specifically with the, I think it was the jagged line year. Uh, you guys had that really yeah. really wide setup with the front <laughs> ensemble, and this is always yeah. this is um, you know I, I I guess this is just the paradox of the activity to some extent. But it you guys did something that uh, was fresh and had never been done before, and I at least I personally had never seen that before. And I, I have no idea how, if I were a judge, I would judge that. I know. I, so, I have the same 
I've, I have the same trepidations at the times about so, it. Too. So, so um, walk me through kind of what that what that was like. Um, your conversations with judges and to, to attempt to get that to to unfold the way you had planned. Um. Well, I mean, first of all, just to back up, I guess as far as the idea of kind of experimenting with the front ensemble and how they're set up, um, was more to I guess obviously create a situation where we can be more interactive, you know, like, cause I mean, those are engaging performers we have, yes. uh, you know, um, and try to, <laughs> yeah, all, all, all 15 of them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I mean, getting those guys involved and girls involved in, in the show and something and not being forgotten about at the front of the front yeah. sideline. And I, I know that there's, there's all kinds of ways you can look at it. I mean, we just, Tried it. I mean, 2016 was the first year we kind of split them apart, and they were more in a straight line, like every seven and a half yards, kind of across the front of the field. Which um, I think originally they were supposed to like be things that would come through them. That never really happened. Like in, in, in between, mm-hmm. uh, in between the, the the kind of keyboard pods and that kind of thing. But um, and that that particular year worked pretty well because. The music we chosen was more kind of ethnic marimba, marimba based uh, things. Where it it was a pretty appropriate sound for like what we what we looked like, I guess, or like the way that the setup was. I think um, 2017 we tried to kind of mimic that, you know, the the line in the middle of the field and try to do that kind of horizontally, like across the field. It was tough to read any all, all that stuff. I think just because of the angles and that kind of thing, and just you know, kind of challenging kind of like presentation kind of ideas um, with things. Cause there's, you know, we can hear a sound, but it's also the activity is really built on, you know, there's an image of a, you know, nine guys in a snare line stand there playing. Yeah. You see the stick heights, you see things happening, you know, uniformly. And we never quite got that sense from the front ensemble, you know, that way, just because of the way they were, they were set. Um, so as far as like judging and that kind of thing, we, we realized there'd be a learning curve or, or you know, just a skepticism about like how to how to sample it, that kind of thing. I always encourage people to get as far back as they could so they could hear like right. the mix of, of the speakers, uh, that kind of thing. And it's not trying to hide players; it's trying to get you know, just trying to have them hear what we intend. Right. Uh, it's a conscious design choice. Here, here was my rundown. All right. So it's it's a choice. You know, we're, yep. we're trying to experiment, trying to broaden um, some of the ideas um, as it relates to the staging of the front. Um, to hear the ensemble, please step back, you know, and, and get as far back from the track and try and get the, the, the array from the speakers and the mix of sound we intend. As far as individual sampling, I mean, just get get up in there, but just realize the sound is going to be different than other ensembles. And just, you know, we're still compared, obviously, but we're just going to we're going to sound different just yeah. because it's going to be a more singular or duets or that kind of kind of acoustic sound that we're going to have just because of the choice we've made. So, yeah. you know, beyond that, you really can't direct too much you can just kind of say your thoughts and hope for the best and, live, and, and live, live with your choices and yeah. you know i i'm happy we did it you know i'm happy that you guys did yeah. it yeah i think i think uh i didn't even think about this till this moment do you think with the uh the new dci rule change of percussion judges that that will help the case that you've just brought forward uh i maybe i i, I don't know i mean just i i've yet to see how that's going to be implemented i know how it's said i mean right. as far as like you have that you know front of the front ensemble 
back of the front ensemble. Um, I think it'll be a good thing overall. I think it'll encourage um, a certain degree of consistency of sampling of, of the front, you know, like more so than, you know, because there's just not as much distance to cover and yeah. there's always going to be that kind of proximity to, what, to what's going on. So, but yeah, I mean, I, it could be good, I guess. What do you for, think the, what do you think for, the effects setups? will be on the, on the battery? Um, I mean, I've, I've heard the arguments and I, I understand them as far as like, well, nobody's going to play anything anymore that's has horns in front of it or it's too far back and that kind of thing. But I, I don't know. I don't find myself writing any differently, yeah, yeah. honestly. I feel like, I mean, I've had maybe one more conversation or just a reminder to, you know, as far as like a visual placement of things, like just understand if you want to get credit for this moment, it needs to be obvious, you know, like, you know, just as far as bringing elements forward, uh, as far as the battery, just to make sure it's sampled and make sure that, uh, there's no problems that way. But I think ultimately it's, I mean, the performers go to the cores cause they, at least in my estimation, they, they go to certain cores because they like that style of playing. They feel challenged. They feel like it's fun to do what they're doing. Yeah. And I mean, I, when I marched, I mean, I was aware of the judge. I, I maybe have a different experience than some people. I just, I didn't ever focus as much on the guy who was, you know, listening out in front of us. I was always more terrified to make a mistake that my tech would hear it. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> so that, was, that, that was, that was the environment there. Like there's too much to worry about. Have to do some know. pushups the next day or something. I, yeah. Run laps, push up, everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't find myself writing any differently or considering Yeah. At least, at least yet, and I'll envision that would happen anyhow. Uh, to be quite honest, yeah. So I, I, I don't personally. I'm the oddball. I mean, uh, I guess, but I'd, I'd much rather have somebody sample the percussion section from further away and take in 100 percent of what you know is intended, both from the performers' standpoint, what they're bringing to the show, and what you know the designs that I and others you know kind of intend. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I'm one of the few. Uh, I, I mean, I have my concerns. Um, but I, I think I'm one of the few optimistic ones about the rule change, uh, yeah. because it seems it seems to me like one of the more difficult things, um, and we'll get to uh, we'll get to judging here in a little bit, and this might you know, this might come full circle on this. But I think especially for DCI as a percussion judge, one of the more difficult things to do, if I imagine being a percussion judge on on prelims especially when you have the most number of groups, and oh, yeah. you 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 have to, it's not like WGI where you're put in a position and the arrangers can right to so the person in that exact position can hear exactly what they want in dci you have to kind of sure. hope that the judge is able to get where you would want them to be that's i i would imagine i've never done it obviously i would imagine that is a yep. very difficult thing to do as a dci judge is to get in the exact spot you would always want that the arrangers would have always wanted you to be in every time you see the performance it just it you know it, it right. seems like a very big variable and one of the maybe one of the more positive sides of the new rule change is it's at least predictable. You at least as an arranger are aware of where they're going to be 100% of the time. That's true. I, I honestly think it's going to make for a more pleasurable judging experience for them too. They're not going to be worried about getting hit. They're not yeah. going to look behind them. As they're listening and commenting on what you're doing, they're not looking behind them and yeah. potentially being hit by a drill change. I, have, or, yeah, you know, I, or, I can only imagine I mean, how terrible that would be. I've seen it yeah. like once or twice, I think, in my marching career. And it is just... It just yep. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think that I think that there, you know, I mean, I'll, only time will tell, but I think that there could there could yeah. be some potential positive. So, okay, so for your arranging specifically, uh, because you write both the battery and the front ensemble music, do you yeah. do you always start with one or the other, or is it dependent upon the program or the part of the show, or, or how do you work in those two sections? 
Um, yeah, there's no real clear answer for that either, honestly. Um, usually it's, it's a matter of like kind of taking like a chart or a section of the show you're going to work on, or at least for me, um, take, taking a chart and kind of mapping out like the priority, you know, like whatever that voice is, this a keyboard thing is, do I feel this groove here? Is this a snare thing? Is this like, like whatever element is going to be driving kind of the, the percussion texture, like through that moment, that's what kind of goes first for me. A lot of times it'll be, um, I, I guess I found more recently that I'll, I'll just drum a lot more with, with stuff and kind of like figure out like what I'm feeling like in my hands and then kind of like sketch out like, like a skeleton of a snare thing or a tenor thing or bass thing. And then kind of fill in what the keyboards could do during that. And then it becomes kind of a back and forth. I think of filling things in once I feel comfortable with like a, like an idea, I usually would sketch maybe the battery in. Like if it's a full ensemble thing, just because there's more rhythmic variable and kind of, I don't want to say nuance, but like there's more like odd rhythms or, or things like that that can kind of dictate maybe what the keyboards would do or wouldn't do yeah. or force you into decisions about what's more important. Is it the flow of the keyboard part or is it this kind of like, you know, change up in hand speed or like something that could be cool on a micro level for the battery? I guess, I don't know, I, I, I have to put enough information in both like the keyboard staves or the, the front ensemble staves and the battery to actually make some decisions about, you know, like what's, what's important yeah. and kind of get, yeah. so it's, but, um, it would definitely be, uh, battery and keyboards, I guess, I guess going and then just some sort of, uh, and then everything else kind of fills in around it usually. Uh, would be a typical kind of way of doing it. And does does um, for the full ensemble music arranging does does Doug um, does he create first and then you add on to what he's created, or does it go the other way sometimes, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, it goes both. Depends um, depends on the section of the show. Usually, things that are more typical or brass driven, um, Doug would obviously go first with with that stuff. Um, there's things that are going to revolve around percussion. Um, in more ways that I'll just work on something now, like with, it's just like a tuba thing, but, um, I, just, I have kind of, he's like, just take it and then we'll figure it out. You know, we'll, we'll listen to it, what, what you do with it. And then we'll kind of meet in the middle, you know, somewhere. So there's a lot of back and forth, I guess. Hmm. Somebody always does the first sketch, obviously. And then it kind of gets passed around and then you kind of come to a musical compromise via Sibelius files. Yeah. <laughs> you know, through, through it. And that's probably a benefit of the relationship that you guys have is the. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, and working with Matt this year has been great uh, with that, with Vince before too. Like we got to a point over like five years with, we would kind of um, like Doug, either Doug or I would go first and the other one would kind of do our stuff. And then we'd send to Vince and Vince would kind of just, he would blow everything up. He'd like <laughs> take this over here, this over there and just, and just go, and would say, don't hate me, but I tried all this stuff. And then, we kind of piece it back together and somewhere along the line becomes, you know, a living, breathing thing that's representative of all three people, I think. Yeah. So, or however many you have, but that's just kind of the relationship we have. So it, it takes a little longer, I think <laughs> sometimes to do it that way. But I think in the end you get a, maybe a more even product maybe, or at least for, for our dynamic, like it, it's the way everybody kind of gets their, um, gets their stab at it, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think, I mean, as, as I marched and as I d designed and I, I observed more and more, I, I, 
do you think there's something to be said about the, the success level that an arranger or designer of any kind is able to have in their acceptance of criticism about their own ideas from other people? Because that can be that can be difficult. Oh, absolutely. Um, because especially when like there, I think there's something. Um, I mean, at least personally, I it's easy to become attached to your own creations, and you want to be open minded, and you want to be, and you know, you don't want to be yep. stubborn. By any, is that something that you guys struggle with at all sometimes, or is it? Oh sure, I mean it's it's not always easy. I mean, I I the picture I painted was like an ideal situation. I mean, yeah. We 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 don't we don't have fights or anything, but like there are things where you know like pretty much always the favorite thing that you work on is the thing that's going to get cut for one reason or another. Yeah. Like it's you know it's like I feel really good about this, and then you just go I know it's going to get cut at some point. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Or or the tempo will get bumped up to where it doesn't work, you know, yeah. or, or or whatever. But um. But yeah, I, I think we've all been doing it long enough that we realize that, um, I mean, we're not trying to prove anything to each other, I think. And we certainly realize that like, if something is great musically, but doesn't have the right motivation or pacing or um, kind of interest level for a choreographer or drill designer to make it a great moment, it's not in this activity, it's not worth very much, yeah. you know, like, so, um, I mean, not to say we can't have musical plan moments. I mean, cause there, there are those two, but like in generally speaking, um, it has to feel great to those guys too. That's one of my favorite things is like listening to like, um, you know, Jim Moore, who's our choreographer for, for the core. And he does, uh, most, if not all of the movement stuff for like the way the core, you know, you know, body and, you know, dance, you know, type stuff. Um, also with a color guard, but his reactions to musical things, like he'll just, he'll have very different language to express things, but it's always very meaningful and cuts really clearly, you know, yeah. to, to how things feel, you know? So that's, that's pretty cool. And how often you know? are you guys, uh, how early prior to the season and how often are you guys meeting as a design team? Um, we meet a few times throughout the, like we meet maybe twice throughout the fall, like in person. Um, maybe twice through the winter and then we're together pretty much every weekend to move in. So it's like five or six weekends in a row um, that we all, we all generally speaking, we're all there every weekend of the cores moved in and like through this first week or two of, uh, of tour. So some of those people like stay all week or like do different times, but we all kind of converge on weekends. That being said, we all, we also have like a Tuesday standing call. We always do every week. Gotcha. Uh, at night too. So, um, so there's always like a deadline as far as like, who's going to have this done for Tuesday? What are we going to hear Tuesday? You know, like there's always that kind of keep, keep it going and keep the conversation going throughout yeah. the year. So, which is, you know, r really important. So in addition to those in-person meetings, in-person meetings are always awesome. You know, yeah. we always get a lot more done, but the accountability of having a weekly kind of call and just works for us. Yeah. You know, some, te some teams may not need to do that, but it works. It works well for us for as many people as we have involved doing different things. Yeah. For sure. Well, yep. okay, so and, and this is uh, obviously a, a, a different time than when you were getting your foot in the door for designing, but for anyone who's trying to do what you do currently, what advice do you have for those yeah. people? Um, well, I think, like, I guess mechanically, just, like, getting, like, gigs and that kind of stuff. Um, I guess get in position, I mean, the only thing I can talk about is, like, my experience, I guess, or, you know, yeah. well, not the only thing, but the most personal thing is I guess getting to a place where uh, that'll allow you to design to design and to make mistakes and to 
to fail and to succeed <laughs> and, and all those things um, with some sort of support, obviously. But like, I, I think having the ability to grow with a set of students was really invaluable for me. Um, uh, being a teacher, being a designer and knowing them and going through that process. That may not be the most successful band in your area or the one that has the most resources or that kind of thing too. So just, you know, not that you should settle or anything like that, but just, I guess, just be, think about what you want out of a gig um, and realize that the bands that have, you know, bands or drum lines or whatever that have more, um, maybe a track record of success, that kind of thing, uh, are probably gonna have more, you know, constrictions on what you can do and how you can experiment and maybe ultimately your growth. That's not a catch-all, be-all kind of thing for the, for it, but it's just something that seems to be true in my, yeah. in my, in my, in my experience. Um, as far as um, artistically, it's about being exposed to, I think, as many different types of music as, as you can. Something that was helpful for me, I think, was just a, that I fall back on is a, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself a, a great drum set player, a good drum set player, but I, I played drum set for a long time growing up and, you know, through college and have kind of sputtered over the years, but that sensibility and that kind of, I guess the way you hear music, the way you hear phrase and balance and proportion, um, sense of direction and phrasing in music, I think really, at least for me, that has an impact on me as a designer. Like I, I, I can listen to something that I write. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel the right kind of space. It doesn't feel the right kind of proportion to the phrase came before it. Sense of color, how you choose symbols, high and low sounds, just all those things that kind of brought, it's not just vertical alignment. It's not just being accurate with the melody or um, what you would write metrically to a flute part, but it's also how, what the texture, you know, what texture do you want? You know, how do you want that phrase to evolve kind of horizontally? Where are the arrows in the music and things that point you and make it feel like you reached a destination at the end of a phrase? Yeah. So, which are kind of innate kind of drum set, you know, concert oriented, you know, type things and concepts. So I think availing yourself of those kind of um, influences and skills or just exposures, I think really can, can help. So yeah. again, those are just things that have helped me. I is that, is it, I mean, the, the, these are, you sound very wise right now. Is this a way that you've always, that you've always thought, or is this, is, is this a byproduct of your progression and your failures and successes? Oh, it's absolutely a trial and error. You know, you, yeah, okay. I've not always thought that way. Okay. Because yeah. that was, I mean, that was, I, that was I, great. That was great. There's a lot given of that answer maybe once or twice, before, somewhere around that kind of answer and different things over the years too. So I've thought about it a little bit, but yeah. you know, but um, that's great. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. That's so I, I think, and I think that uh, a lot of those things are hard to learn without application. Like you just, you have to write it and you have to get your feedback from people and you got to, get the new perspective. Cause I find that in WJ all the time is I'll like, I'll, you know, I'll spend my time writing my music and I, I feel good about what it is. And I'll hear somebody's perspective. And I'm like, man, I never, ever even considered that that was a possibility. <laughs> it's like, and every time you get this perspective, it's good. So there, there is something to be said. I like what you brought up about, um, especially if, if you're trying to grow yourself as a designer about finding a program that gives you the, the freedoms that, that you need to, to grow and to, yeah. and to learn. Yeah. Yeah, you try something that it may, maybe it's okay if it falls on its face for a while. I mean, I've worked at places too where if it doesn't work the first time, it's an emergency. Like, you know, so like, yeah. and that's not a great that's not a great creative environment if you're learning, you know. I think or trying things or you know. So 
I think it's just a matter of being realistic about what you want out of the experience. Because there's a lot of great things to be had at yeah, really established, you know, good programs too, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that, 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 that makes me think a lot about the, the blue coats and the, the sense that you brought up the, you, you said, if it doesn't work, it's, you know, it's an emergency. And I, I, I think that maybe not having that mindset is why you guys are where you are, because it, it's like you said, like there, it, I think it's inevitable for anyone that there's going to be some mistakes along your way in terms of design. And it sounds like you guys sure. as a team understand that and aren't, you, know, you guys aren't trying to, uh, to shun someone as soon as, you know, a mistake is made of some kind. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a there's a careful balance of that stuff. I mean, as the as right. the intensity kind of ramps up, you know. But but we we certainly understand that there is certain parts of the show we don't know. A, a famous phrase is like, "Well, we'll figure it out." Like, we'll know when we see, when we hear it, kind of yeah. thing. Or like, we won't know till we get it out there. That's always like the thing we fall back on is like, we have a concept, we have some notes on a page, but like it's almost you know, you can't replicate it in Sibelius or spend hours in, in a in another program trying trying to do it maybe but like you really won't know what's actually going to sound like till you get it out there and then you have to tweak it and kind of live with it and yeah so i think we're comfortable with having several projects in the projects in the show like that that takes a lot of trust in people it does i mean that's one thing that i know is that people that work there um designers kids staff it's i mean they're they're comfortable with that process and kind of used to it yeah you know they'll they'll hear something or I think and communication is is huge too. I mean, I'm sure you you're you're designing and stuff, you know, with for for your groups and um just having the ability to express to the staff and and the kids like, "Hey, this is a project. Like we're going to here's the idea. We're going to chase this thing. We're we're going to get it. It's going to be cool, but like I we don't know exactly how it's going to get going to go, go together." Yeah. I think as long as people have information or enough that's not going to get in their way of um kind of making progress, I think that, you know, they'll, they'll buy in and, and yeah. if, as, long as, as long as they can see you're invested, you know, in it yeah, too. Yeah. You know? I think that, that, that sounds like you're in, in Doug's relationship to the extent that, that, um, the, the ability to have faith and, and maybe patience more than anything that it will turn out the way it should be. I think that a lot of those moments are usually the ones that end up to be the most significant, the ones where you're, you're willing are, to, yeah. to wait on the moment and to craft it, you know, in real time. It seems yeah. that that usually has some of the bigger payoffs. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, we have the, the benefit of knowing like there's certain people that are, are there most of the time that like have a really good eye on that stuff. Just with my job, I'm not there other than the weekends and it's usually pretty, pretty quick in and out, you know, and Doug's a lot the same way. Yeah. Um, so, so the other end of that too, is we have to have a really good idea of like a plan going in, like stuff on paper, stuff talked about, stuff prepared. Because obviously you don't want to waste people's time. Yeah, I was like about that. to mention. But, I was about to say but, you've seen the. I've seen the I, I know you've, side of that. You've you've been through that. I mean, we all have. I mean, yeah. I've been through restaging just all day at the cadets. Some things just yeah. you know. You go out you know, there with the with yeah, the intention when I, when I was, to create the new yep. moment, and it just it you're like four hours in, you're like, this is not one step further than it was when I came here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. So how long how long have you been judging for WGI? Since two thousand seven. And you do you do uh, a bunch of different local circuits as well. Yeah, I do um, most weekends of the of the of the winter. Um, I'm somewhere around around the country. So what circuits have you judged for? Obviously, you do MEPA occasionally. Uh, I just tell you this year I went to uh, SCGC. It's a Tennessee Southeast kind of area. Um, 
Yeah, I did a MEPA show, I did an IPA show in Indiana, did a NCPA in Northern California, SCPA championships. Um, sort of thing. But a local show here, like AIA, which is Atlantic Indoor. It's like yeah. Mid-Atlantic kind of thing. But it just varies from year to year. I try and I've uh, been in Minnesota a bunch of times. It's a great circuit up there. Um, and do you have to be trained for right. every? Uh, do you have to be trained through the circuit that you're judging for, or is your like certification through WGI enough to get you in everywhere? Uh, yeah, I mean, not to sound too pretentious. No, well, but like, but yeah, I mean, like the day the the assignments come out, sometimes before that, like for WGI, like it's kind of like every circuit kind of sends their availability, and you kind of fill it out and. I think being on the WGI roster, you kind of, you get kind of, I mean, you get contacted about, about yeah, things and about yeah, sure. you know, that way. So, um, you kind of get the, you can kind of make your own schedule in, in a lot of ways, you know, with that. And what made you want to, um, what made you want to judge WGI and arrange for DCI? Did you ever consider like doing the opposite or, or, or judging for both or arranging for both? Sure. Uh, I mean, it just kind of happened, I guess. Um, I, I guess during my first couple of years, of like, I guess mid two thousands, I was kind of starting at the blue coats and do, doing that. I started, uh, another central Pennsylvania connection, um, was doing the, uh, John Stoffers, his name. He was doing the, um, the DCA circuit, senior core circuit. Like, and he's like, Hey, do you ever think about judging for senior core? I'm like, I've never really judged anything. You know, actually that's not true. It was right about the same time where, I forget which was first, but uh, Chris Heston, who uh, you would know, right? Yeah, he was my captain at Spirit. Yeah, Spirit. he is Spirit the Becker man. Day. I love he's, Chris Heston. He's one of my best friends yeah. as well. He's he's awesome. He's good. But I, I credit a lot of these things, like as far as judging, to Chris. He he was doing MEPA. He at, at the time he was starting out. Um, this was after two thousand two, three, something like that. But uh, he got me involved there, like came out and did like training with like Charlie Poole, Dennis Delucia came out for like the, I remember that training, it may have been Lebanon or Miamisburg, one of those yeah. uh, kind of schools, but just watching drum lines, talking with those guys about WGI philosophy and that kind of stuff. And just, it was just, I mean, I had the um, musical knowledge and kind of, kind of experience that way to know what I was hearing, but you know, you have to kind of apply it to a, a system and, um, you know, a sheet and kind of, you know, learn how to quantify things as far yeah. as numbers and, and all that. So it was just really cool to, to go through that process. I guess at, at MEPA, that was my first part there. And then as far as WGI, I was, I guess maybe a judge a year or two there, uh, with MEPA. And then, uh, I was judging DCA <laughs> senior core on the field sometimes. Um, and then, but uh, my the year I started, I think Mark Thurston also started judging the same year DCA. <laughs> so I met Mark. I met Mark doing that, and he just you know the one. So you had all your of, WGI connections. I, I mean, just it just happened yeah. that, that way, you know. Like, um, so he asked he asked me about judging if I was be interested in WGI like a couple years after working with him, you know, for a few years, just like senior core, and I've been doing some local stuff, you know, indoor wise, and kind of doing learning the craft of, of that, you know, and adding that to your kind of recognition skills and what you've done as a musician to that point. Yeah. And what is the, what's the training like for that, for WGI? Uh, well, I think it's, I think they formalize it to some degree now for sure. Um, 
there's a lot of details on the website. There's like a certification process, like a, you can be like WGI certified as far as like you go through a curriculum of, of judging that kind of thing. I think all these things are on the WGI website. Uh, to check out Chris would be a great one to talk to Yeah, uh, <laughs> about all this. But, uh, but, uh, but I think that's a relatively new thing in the past couple of years. Uh, there has been different, um, they used to do kind of training sessions at regionals where people, prospective judges or people who just wanted to, to learn more about the system, that kind of thing would come. They would have the opportunity to run recordings and get feedback on those recordings from uh, administrators or experienced judges and that kind of thing, kind of a mentoring system that way. Um, so, but I think predominantly the way that people um, become WGI judges are you you go out and do your thing in the activity, whether that's indoor, DCI, you know, whatever your in your your their varied backgrounds of, of things, you you get involved in your local circuit, maybe a couple other circuits, that kind of thing, and then kind of work your way up. I guess you know, like yeah, um, that's how most people I, th- I think have done it. Um, but there's a, there is that certification process, I think, too. It's not, not necessarily like if you complete that, then you're a WGI judge, but it's like you complete that, and that's one step towards like kind of getting in the pool of people that right. are maybe they give quali- you like one regional or qualified something. or just qualified to be like recommended to circuits and then those circuits like what you do after a couple of years and then they re- then I think it, it's kind of just works naturally i think that way like gotcha. you get enough like positive feedback or you know um that way you're doing a, you're doing a good job i think that that generally tends to gravitate towards the national level so how many how many years were you judging before you judged wj finals for the first time that was my first year. I did PSW my first year. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, that was crazy. Man, and so how do you how do you get? Uh, I always mention this. How do you get your assignments for who you're for who, what class you're judging each year? Uh, they get sent out to us. Oh, you uh, don't have any say in what that is? No, no, not at all. That's all. I mean, Chris Chris does all the assignments. I mean, I assume in somewhat concert with Caleb and Mark, but Chris is the judging coordinator, right? Um. So it's his responsibility to do that, but there's a whole matrix of the, you know, people get put on panels and schedules and And do you know of any system or anything that he uses for that? Like, are are you supposed to not judge the same class two years in a row or does he try to put certain people with certain classes or, or. I, I don't know that algorithm. (laughs) I don't know what that is. Uh, I generally speaking, I mean, I've never judged the same class two years in a row and I I can't remember people doing that. So they usually, there is a rotation for sure. Like, yeah. But it's not as simple as just rotating right. around yeah. the classes for, I think, a variety of reasons. But, and a lot of that um, is to keep uh, – what it seems like is to keep directors and designers intentionally in the dark, it sounds like, prior to there. So you can't necessarily too early in the season start to favor the opinions of some judges compared to others. Well, I think it's as much – it's for us too. You know what – I mean I wouldn't – honestly, I wouldn't really want to fo- – I wouldn't want to know at the beginning of the season I was judging a certain class, I don't think. Because right? I would make – well, that would make me focus on that class maybe more or yeah. something. I, I don't know. Like if you know what the answers are to the test or like the, the end of the year exam is going to be or, you know, you're going to focus more on those questions, I guess, you yeah, know, yeah. to draw that to draw that parallel. I mean, but I, I don't know. I think – I don't know. I just it, – it works well the way – Wait, I think everybody just kind of like gives their all to all the classes and yeah. and it's, it's the way it's intended. And like you, you would apply yourself the same way, um, no matter what, you know, ideally. And that's, that's the way that I feel like it is. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I will say I am, I am very happy with where WGI is at with all of this. It's, it's a, I, it rarely gives me um, um, an experience or an encounter that I don't feel like was in my best interest or my ensemble's best interest. Yeah, I've, I've, that's what I've been most impressed with um, over my years too. It just feels very healthy. I, I love the uh, interaction with uh, the staffs, like critique, especially like and, and all that. I mean, um, it's just way different than my other ex- experiences. Like even you know, just you know, drum corps, marching band, not not necessarily DCI, just like other be, being in that critique situation as a judge. Right, you see both sides just, of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, DCA was some pretty rough critiques, man. It's like hardcore East Coast guys, you know, like, and WGI was pretty much the opposite. It's like literally everybody just weren't like, feels like everybody, there's a fundamental, like kind of respect and a kind of a, the, the goal is growth. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not the, to, to, to fight beat the guy, yeah. <laughs> to beat the guy next to you. Of course you want to win, but like, it's not like, there's a difference between wanting to win and then wanting to beat the guy next to you. Like it's, I don't know. Or the, the group that's down the street. And have you – in uh, in WGI, have you um, have you ever judged anything outside of just music? Do you ever go into music effects? Uh, I have. Uh, never – well, I can't say never. I don't think I have it on a WGI level, but um, certainly circuit-wide uh, I have. Um, WGI, they like to kind of keep you like in a – on one caption. I think it just enhances kind of expertise. It also makes yeah. the schedule a little more – uh, I think easier. And to, why do you prefer um, music over music effects? Um, it's a good question. I think honestly, <laughs> with the honest answer, um, I think I have too many opinions about the, or like, I, I don't like enough things. <laughs> like, I think to, to, to be a great effect judge, I think you have to be really open-minded and really like enjoy a wide variety of things or like be less, I don't know. Like I've, Put it this way. I feel like music suits my skill, skill sets analytically better. I think I can bring like a, a broad view musically to, to things, but it doesn't necessarily bleed into like an effect or kind of an overall, you know, um, emotion and, you know, th- that, that kind of thing of the program. But um, I think I have enough, like a, a broad view enough where I can step back a little bit and kind of give that perspective as well as the analytical, you know, from a, nuts and bolts standpoint. So to me, it's kind of the best of both worlds a little bit. Yeah. Um, So, okay. So I want to go, I want to go into these sheets. I'm really excited for this um, because I, uh, I was at the board meeting last year, obviously. And I got to, that was, that was probably my favorite part of the entire board meeting was the discussion about the sheets, why they are what they are. um, Because Mm -hmm. from, from a director standpoint, a designer standpoint, it can be really difficult. I think to, to accurately understand the sheets uh, because I think there, it, some of it is just the nature of the activity. We're, we're trying to put this like, we're trying to establish a system of evaluation while also being completely accepting to the fact that everyone's supposed to be doing things outside of the previous system. Uh, so it's it's sure. it's difficult. Um, and I I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it, but I'm I'm positive that you're probably going to say something here that uh, I haven't heard before. So okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is the difference between music and music effect, and and where the the line is drawn between those two captions. Uh, well, it's kind of a Venn diagram, I think, really, of intersecting, kind of like, because, you know, well, certainly effects like that. You have, you know, yes. o- overall effect in the middle, and then you have, you've seen that yes, diagram, yes, yes. I'm sure. 
to a certain degree, music has that too, because there's things in music that are like continuity and um, sound production, musicianship, all those things. There, there's kind of general kind of concepts, I think, that play into like the music overall kind of or like music effect type things that have an impression on the ensemble um, or things that affect the impression of the ensemble um, that way. I think the analytical, the nuts and bolts, the granular uh, parts of music, those all filter down to, to music, like the music sheet. Um, anything that takes in, I think anything more than like what's happening vertically, like in, in that moment, I think starts to, I think live in the composition side of things uh, for, the, for the music sheet and then filters up to effect. So I'm sure there's a lot more eloquent ways of saying it, but um, yeah, well, I want to, I want to, I want to dive into a lot of the uh, specifics of the words that are on here um, because sure. I know, I know that they are very intentional. Like the words and the phrases put on the sheet are very intentional. I know they've changed a lot yeah. throughout the years. Um, so, okay. So elements of design mm -hmm. um, under the composition half of the sheet is listed as melody, harmony, rhythm, and dynamics. And that's pretty straightforward. Um, but what sure. is maybe ambiguous is um, what makes those things successful. So what is a successful melody or a successful harmony or rhythm or dynamics? Like what, what do those individual things need to look like for you as a judge to want to reward them? Well, I think first and foremost is the ability to recognize them. Like the composition is clear enough. It's um, vibrant enough that it presents those things in a way that like grabs you. Because again, we're not necessarily qualifying. Like, is that a great melody on that half of the sheet? Like that's composition. That's like, is it there or isn't it? I think in a lot of ways. Um, when we go to the other side of the sheet and talk about sound production and, you know, clarity or cohesion or, or those kind of words, like that, that's when we evaluate how well that, that was done. So, I mean, I know you know that, like what and how uh, kind of stuff, stuff, but I, I understand. I think it's, I think elements of design is a, it's a, it's a purposely broad term to encapsulate a lot of, I mean, it's not necessarily that all four of those things have to be happening all the time. Right. Of course. It's the fact that, you know, they do exist. Like a melody can be played on tenors too, not, not just a pitched instrument. You know, like, I think, you know, or I think it's a melody can be like the most important thing that's taking a focus. The harmony can also be the counter rhythmic kind of support to, to something. Um, you know, so I, I, it's not necessarily as, you know, vibes marimba you know right yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the bad we're not labeling like the parts of the ensemble at, at that we're like those are just tools to dissect composition and to get to the root of like what what you're presenting at any given moment yeah and the, the i like how you phrase that the the ability to recognize that it's there i think that just is probably yeah. a testament to a successful composition that what you are intending to be right. heard is heard um so and that's Go ahead. So, uh, well, I'm going to move on. So if you got something else for that, I'd love to hear it. I was just going to point to the clarity of intent because it's kind of like these all kind of blend together. Yeah, in, in they a, do. But, but, but go ahead. Um, well, I was actually going to talk about clarity of intent and range sure. of content. Um, so I think from a design perspective, um, it, you, you, to some extent, you intentionally box yourself in with parameters to your show, right? Like you, the, the concept sure. you have at hand lends itself to certain styles, certain things like that which seems maybe inherently uh, counterproductive to variety because you intentionally limit variety to some extent to fit inside of the paradigm that your show creates. Um, right. So can you, can you speak to kind of what, um, how you view variety as a judge? Yeah. Um, 
I can see why you think that, and I've heard that before. And there's all kinds of ways to create create variety, and that's can be different styles of music, can be different implements, can be those are kind of obvious variety things. I think, and they're equally creditable too because they they take different skills, right, um, and energies to to accomplish. Um, I think it's equally, if not harder, to like you said, if you have parameters for a show, like you're living in in a world of that certain things belong and certain things maybe don't. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge in, in, in that situation is to create, like, I guess I would replace the word, like, um, variety with, like, a journey. Like, or, like is there, like, does, does, does the sound that we hear at minute 30 or, like, 30 seconds of the show, is, are we being presented with the similar skill sets or similar sounds pretty consistently all the way through the show? Which is like, what you would not want, correct? Well, I'm just saying, like, it, it. See, we're talking about art. We're talking about subtlety. Yeah, uh, yeah. But like, this all has I, to be prefaced with the fact here, that this is how the activity works. Is that it is sure. art. It is subjective. It is. Yeah. I would say this, like, if if it occurs to like, it's going to sound really pretentious. If it occurs to me while I'm listening that like, wow, this this, this feels similar. There's a sameness to like what I'm being presented, and we're significantly through the show. Like, mm-hmm. or I don't get that sense that you've explored your given world, I guess. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. As much as you could, or there's redundancies or I don't know, just things that feel where um, we've lost interest. You know, I think a lot of that too is, I mean, you can be, you can be interesting for in the same kind of world for a long time. I've seen shows like that are, they'll live in a very familiar and same kind of place, but there's something that evolves, whether it's slowly, whether it's drastically, but it keeps, um, it keeps your interest and maybe you don't know why, but there's a real talent, you know, design wise in that. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense on the simultaneous responsibility that mm-hmm. encompasses all things, right. Including visual. Oh yeah. That's, I think it's really geared towards the, um, that was reading the exact language on the back of the sheet. But like, uh, when I think of simultaneous responsibility, I think more of the, kind of physical demands uh, of things, whether it's, uh, you know, ensemble demands spatially, uh, whether it's, you know, what you're doing with the lower body, what you're doing with, you know, um, angles and just the individual kind of nature of things that, you know, we, we see. Um, so, so you yeah, have to, it, I like the way you phrase it, the, 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 this seems so simple. I don't know why I haven't thought of it before. The Venn diagram of the, of the different caption. Cause I mean, it, it, it seems to me that to some extent, every single caption is interlaced in some way yes. or another. Yeah. yeah um, so. which is, which is, I think it's maybe, important to know. Maybe music, music and visual may not, well, I guess simultaneous responsibility. Would yeah. Be. That, that's the, that's they, the, they, that's, where, that's where you're going. Okay. The constant yep. theme. Yeah. So it's, uh, which is, I think is good. So then, um, I, I would imagine the difficult part then as a judge, um, is, even though you're like, obviously when you judge, you're not judging visual, but you have to, as sure. a music judge, you have to still understand, you have to have a, an understanding of, of demand and, and variety and composition on the visual side to be able to evaluate simultaneous responsibility. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, that's, that's tough because especially the way it goes now, because it's like, it's nobody stands still and does anything. It's right, like, exactly. or, or, or is it like stretching the boundaries of what they can do physically, you know, uh, at most times is what it feels like. Yeah. You know, so, um, trying to quantify those things together, you know, it's, that's a, 
that's a tough one, I guess, or, or balance th- those demands between groups and that kind of thing. What, what's harder, playing things, I don't know, at 10-step intervals, um, the, the environmental versus the physical and, and, and all that? Is it, is it doing that at, at wide intervals and all across the floor, or is it the just the really super detailed lower body and foot speed changes? And I, you know, it, it's hard. hard it is. To, it is. It's it hard. Is. It's hard to say. I don't. I don't know that I have an answer. I, you can just kind of appreciate it and make sure you notice it uh, and and layer that with the what they're doing with their hands at the same time yeah. and um, how consistent and how much of the show they do that. Um, I think continue last. The other thing, well, I mean, it's not on the sheet either, but you kind of, on the composition of things, you kind of search for the question why, at least I do. Um, if you can find like a, I guess a motivation, I guess, in both from a musical or a visual or whatever, you're be, whatever you're being presented with at that, at that time. Uh, obviously for me it's music, but or it's through that lens. Um, when you say why, re- are you referring to, like- I, I guess the show itself sure i guess there's things that may look or feel like either gratuitous or not meaningful like to the composition whether that's physical or or musical or whatever we see it a lot of times just with with body where it's just movement for movement's sake kind of like or i mean you've seen groups like that you know yeah 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 Uh, so and not that that's a huge factor on my on my caption i'm primarily there to talk about you know music and and the nuts and bolts of music making but um, so do you have to intentionally, um, ignore thoughts mm-hmm. that you have during a production because the thought might sure. be outside of the caption? Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of train yourself to like, yeah. just kind of focus on those things. There, there's a lot of shows that are frustrating on a, like a low level, like, like look in the physically, like in the stands, like six, seven rows up that I don't understand. Like, I don't understand the show and but I'm not supposed to, like, it's not it's for not- me. It's, it's for everybody up here. Um, or like the effect judges understand and the audience understand, but um, there, there's some things that you have to kind of like put your blinders on and just make sure you're not. Yeah. That's got to be one of the more difficult parts. Narration the story and that, and that kind of thing happening. And like, there's things that cut down on your maybe ability to filter that question. Why I guess yeah. you, you make certain choices. So I'm always for more context, I guess, as far as perspective and being able to read the, the, you know, the design and the art that people put out there. Yeah, and you had you had touched on. I think this is this is what I would imagine to be one of the most difficult parts of being a judge is what is hard with all variables considered. Like there's you know there's a classic argument of like speed versus space. Like you have these groups that are like ramming notes super fast, and you have these groups that are playing this huge amount of space. And then it you know is is are doing chasses while you're doing that. Is that harder than marching at a five to five at two ten? Like it's it's like this endless uh, yeah all these endless variables is, do you struggle with like, I have no idea how I would I, do that. I, absolutely. I mean, you always struggle. I mean, you, you, I think you owe it to the students to struggle with it. I mean, yeah. honestly, um, there was a, uh, I won't mention any groups, that kind of thing, but there, I had a situation that was really difficult. Like in, in one of the, it wasn't world class, but it was one of the other classes this year, but it was, um, one group who played maybe significantly less of the show, like in terms of like content, uh, maybe they didn't play their drums as much, you know, like, or they were doing more visual things kind of thing. But when they did play, like the quality was great. Like as an ensemble yeah. like keyboard, just fullness, uh, quality of sound, bat- just clarity and just 
really pleasing sounds like to listen to um, really well, like curated by the somebody with ensemble ears and you know, that way. Um, and also, and then competing with groups that like didn't have that refinement, but played maybe twice as many like yeah. notes per inch, you know, and yeah. that's a really, that's a tough one. Like, like do you, do you value, the, I mean, you have to value both like the achievement of the students who are pushing their vocabulary and maybe not achieving at all, but also, Rewarding the students who are, I mean, are playing a more restrained kind of like arrangement, but really performing with a great sense of touch. And it gets in the performance side. You can, that's the thing. You can look at both sides of the sheet and, and talk, like they may not have had as difficult a composition, but there's also talent in creating a really clear and well orchestrated yeah. composition. Like, the right intervals in the keyboard so that the, key, the keyboards speak. They're not close or they're, they're just appropriate. You know, the things like that, just like the frequency agreement, like where things aren't in the same range of canceling each other out and things just kind of, you know, they speak really well. That's a talent as well as writing a bunch of notes is a talent. Yeah. Uh, so restraint and kind of, you know, ambition are both compositional talents. Same way in sound production, you know, like you can derive achievement from a group that's like playing most of the stuff pretty well, but playing a lot, but you can also reward a group on a performance that just has great sounds and makes quality choices about how they, you know, approach their instruments. So, so, so what is, how do you make the decision? Is it just like a gut instinct <laughs> or what do you do? It, I, I hate to say that it's like that arbitrary, but like it, I think here, here's the thing. If you, if you watch enough groups, if you have avail yourself of enough, um, and I say this without any pretension at all, hopefully um, it comes off that way. But like, if you watch enough groups and have enough experience, that kind of thing, and you just watch two groups, like I know in my gut, how I feel it doesn't mean the guy next to me is going to feel the same way, but I know how I feel like this group is better. Like, and you're not looking for a reason to, to justify the sheet. But when you have two groups that are, that achieve maybe the same or similar levels of, um, Similar levels, but in way different ways. I think you're left left with little else than like your gut. You know what's better yeah. on your like musically. So <laughs> I won't yeah, tell that, you. Oh, <laughs> that's got to be difficult. I mean, like I, I... But, but, but there's ways to do that as far as rewarding a group for composition, rewarding a group for performance, and you know making that profile the right way. So that's the other part too. Is like they're we're really supposed to judge two different shows like composition and performance and they don't really relate, relate to each other. You don't balance one to arrive at a number. But they, they do have but, some intersection, right? Composition, performance quality. Uh, I mean, in concepts they do, but as far as the way you evaluate them as subcaptions, like you're, you should just rank like composition, like one through 25 and then performance one through 25 and then whoever comes out, but things like, um, so for instance, like things like uh, elements of design and clarity of intent seem completely dependent upon successful performance quality. Sure. So, they, how, so how do you do it? Like, it's, it's crazy because it, it is exactly why the activity is great. Like, it, it is just gray. It's just a bunch of grayness. Right. And, it's, and there, there's interpretation everywhere. And I don't want to eliminate that by any means because then the sure. activity would just be boring and stale. But so there's not, so I just, I wonder always like from your well, I mean, perspective, how do you, how do you delineate these things? And it's, in its simplest terms, composition performance, it, it seems like you could say that it's like, what, what, and that could be code for how much yeah. are, are you doing as far as composition? 
and performance quality could be like how clean is it you know like and that those are the very bit granular like basic levels of yeah, things yeah there's it's not that simple yeah like yeah. it's there's all kinds of things that go into that support it and um uh you know, give those words meaning and dimension, you know, like I don't consider performance quality, you know, clean, dirty. Um, here's a sidebar too. like people still, I don't know if at some point it was called hands, the music, the music sheet performance analysis. Like I still hear people say that, like who won hands? Yeah. I, I'm like, yeah. like we don't No, We judge music. We don't judge hands. Like yeah. it's like <laughs> hands inherently me, sounds to me like who played cleaner. Right. Yeah. I, mean, it's, it's, I don't know. doesn't mean like, Oh, who had this really cool like mix of the vibraphone, the tenors, and this you know Omglocken patch that was like this really cool groove and texture. Like that's all composition stuff. Like yeah. it's interesting, but that doesn't sound like hands to me. But anyway, yeah, that's yeah, my, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's it's, it's sidebar. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I I I always wonder. Like I, I mean I obviously I view it more often than not from a director or designer standpoint. Um, so I'm trying to, it's, it's real weird because you, you, I mean, I want my ensembles to be successful. I want to get a lot of points. I want to fully understand the sheets. Um, but at the same time, I want to, you know, I want to attempt, at least attempts to push some boundaries and innovate. Um, yeah. and it's, and yeah. in a lot of ways it goes back to the blue coats 2017 thing with the pit. It's, 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 do you ever find yourself in, and maybe this is more of a music effect thing, but do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're observing something new, something that maybe, uh, for some reason, parts of it go outside of the sheet, but you're forced to evaluate it. The, the thing I noticed the most is um, uh, in the, I don't know if you have the sheet in front of you, at the very top that has the marching percussion ensembles. And then it has that uh, little side. Um, the mm -hmm. basis for analyzing an ensemble's performance is the demonstration of percussion excellence. Um, does that affect the other non-percussive instruments? Is that just weird wording? Or, or I, I always just wonder when you when you when you find yourself in front of an ensemble that has done something that seems a little bit different, um, especially at the world class level, are you just forced to make on the spot um, you know, feelings about what that should be? Yeah, I mean it's kind of the exciting thing about it. Really, is like trying to filter um, somebody's like unique design choice. You know, like. Um, a couple groups come to mind. I mean, let's talk about specifics, but think about like Dark Sky from this past year. Yeah. Who I, I mean, I didn't judge them at finals or anything. I saw them once, but they, you know, they no drum carriers. Yeah. Right. So there's a, a defining element of their performance that's different than everybody else or yep. their, their show like that. Or like when Ayala did like they with where the battery played and the pit played and they played yeah. together for like, I mean, they're like important. They're like really important, like clinics, I think for like just breaking down like our, how we evaluate yep, uh, and really fruitful discussions I think can come from people really stretching the activity like that. But I mean, as far as like in the moment judging, like it's certainly not a negative. It's like, it's, those are the interesting things like to, to come across yeah. from a, um, oftentimes it's hard to apply those to the sheets just be, like, like you said, or not apply, but like, it's, it's hard to fit them on the sheet. Uh, I guess it, as competitively as you think they might be yeah. Um, based on your impressions, because um, you know, the mechanisms don't exist to really reward them maybe for the things they chose to do. And yeah. I think, you know, or as, as completely as they, you know, as they could. So, and you draw the parallel to the, to the front novel um, 
you know, in, in the DCI season, you know, for us. And it's, you know, a lot, a lot of the same things. We kind of accept that, like it's going to be different and people will have different ideas and it could be the coolest thing. It could be not well received. It could be somewhere in the middle and you just kind of, I don't know, you have to believe in it and work on it and, you know, make your choices for the, for the next year and experiment and, yeah. and all. So I'd imagine all these groups do the same thing. Too. Yeah. 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 But it is, so, it is, I, I but, am uh, often baffled by what that experience would be like for a judge. I just, because it's just, it's, it's so difficult. I would imagine like, it's just trying to, yes. when you get to the, especially like when I watch, when I watch like the, the top end of world class and yeah. it's like, it's to attempt to quantify demand because it's represented on in so many different ways and on so many different levels and, and to, sure. to try to, 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 to make those distinctions, it's gotta just be ridiculous, but you have to as a judge, but, your job. If it makes you feel any better. I mean, I watched like the top 10, I think from down low, like pretty close to where I judged earlier in the day. Um, like the top 10, like PIW groups this past yeah. year. And like, I had the same thought as you just said, just watching as a fan. I'm just like, I have no idea how you guys are going to make a decision. Yeah. It's, they're, it's, they're, they're, they're all great. They're all way different. It's unique. It's like, everybody's stretching like things in their own way. And it's like, it's, it's great. But there's also a thing like where you sit down and you're accountable to talk through a performance and to, to really verbalize what you're seeing, what you're evaluating you have this like the placemat thing sitting in front of you with the criteria. Like you're, there's a there's a zone you can get into. I think it's just something that you need to. People that want to judge just need to practice like doing that. You Do know, you feel like, like you that get, takes away from your experience having to talk through the entirety of the performance? Um, it's. I mean. The, the, it's not really about my experience, I guess. It's I like mean, like, I, I'm referring to answer, I guess. Yeah, your ability to observe. Do you feel like it takes away from your ability to observe? I Yeah, I've, I've thought about that before, too. Like, because I, that's a careful balance, too, because you want to say enough so people know you're with them, right? Yeah. You want, like, that you're hearing what they're presenting. And, like, I know how that is. Like, when I listen to tapes of things that groups that I design for teach, you know, I was like, he didn't say anything about that. You're like, yeah, yeah. I slipped right back into it. But I, but you also don't want to talk over and miss things, you know. Um, so I've tried to get better about that. I'm not successful very often. I don't often, know. But. I don't know how. Like I, it's that, that must be a real delicate because it's it's almost like a, a rock in a hard place because it's like if you talk the whole time, then every yeah. person who listens to your tape is going to be like, well, why are you talking over the whole show? But then if you don't sure. talk, they're like, well, I have no idea why you put that number down. It's right. so I, yeah. I don't, that's well, another one of those things where I, I just I have I don't know how I would do that. I don't know how. It's, that would. It's not at all their problem, but there's also a talent to that too, like leaving space for reaction. For it's more for the audience than anything else, but like leaving space around events. Yeah. Like oftentimes, where I feel like I'm, I have to, if I can kind of react to something, like the snares play something, I'm like, cool, this, that, you know, like just give a few like. And, but there's there's something else happening immediately, like you know, there's then you're like, well, okay, I'll finish that thought later. Make sure I won't miss the bases over here on the other side of the floor. I, I don't know. So, yeah. Sometimes like shows are easy to talk to that are paced maybe more comfortably. Yeah. Um, that's again, it's not a consideration for me as far as making evaluations. It's just something I notice. Yeah. You know, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Just, just seeing a lot of shows, you know? And how do you, um, you, you judge every class, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And how do you how do you apply this system? Or um, I, I, the delineation between classes is again kind of gray. Um, so how do you how do you apply this system to a open world? Uh, well, 
the simplest answer. I mean, it's the same, the same sheet, same mechanism, yeah. same words, all that kind of thing. You just have three different tolerance levels and three different roles that you play. You know, yeah. It's uh, the the descriptors on the sheet uh, for A class are basic skills. Yeah. Intermediate skills for open, and then advanced for for world, which are pretty broad words. Yeah. But the the manual and the philosophy of the VGI goes dip, deeper than that too. Like for, for us, we're supposed to take on the um, for as judges for the A class, you take on the role of a teacher. Like or you know, these are meant respectfully. I mean, obviously, but more of a educational tone. Like yeah, you maybe can make more suggestions how to rehearse something or you know, have you ever tried doing it this way or you know that kind of thing. Um, in the open class, there's use the word counselor um, as somebody who's maybe more. Maybe it's more back and forth. You know, it's like a, there's a conversation between things. Let's talk about this critique of some ideas. We can go back and forth. And then in the world class, you're a critic. You're you're dealing with the highest level of kind of creativity. And we're not going to tell world class designers like what they think they want to do. Or you know, like yeah. here's what I th- here's what I think you should do. Or like like that's you know. So you have to kind of, it's kind of knowing your role and kind of your relationship both to the to the students and then to the how you approach like the tape commentary critique and, and all that. So, so it's the same sheet applied three different ways throughout the classes. Yeah. Okay. So that, that is, that is one thing I, I am really excited to hear your opinion on is critique. Um, and I want to, uh, uh, I mean, you know, because again, you wear both of these hats, um, you know, the frustrations that designers and directors can have with judges, but I'm really mm-hmm. interested to hear the frustrations that judges have with designers and directors. Like I, I, yeah. um, because I think I, I, what I imagine is that a lot of your critique is people going in there and, and I'm sure that I'm probably guilty as well is going in there and, um, maybe being frustrated with you or other judges on terms that aren't on the sheet or that you don't feel like you're even, you know, that yeah. wasn't even consideration. So what do you, in, in general, when you go yeah. into these critiques, um, specifically with world-class, what is something you wish that directors and designers would understand that they don't currently? Hmm. Or that they would, or a direction they would take in the conversation that you think would would allow them to be more successful. Uh, let's see, world class. I mean, usually, I mean, you're dealing with world class critiques is usually pretty savvy. Like, there's people usually have a plan, you know, when they yeah. when they come in. But I think that's an important thing. It's just to, to know. It's um, usually with those critiques, the ones that go the best, I think, aren't the ones that react too much to the performance of the day, especially on my sheet. Um, as far as like. Yeah, the tenor thing was a little fuzzy. It's like that doesn't. We don't need to talk about that. Like they they know it. I know it. You know they're they're going to rehearse it. It's going to be perfect by April. Like we don't yeah. need to grow that stuff. It's more like, um, even on music, uh, the music sheet where it's you know, um, more analytical, but like having inform- giving information about the show, and again the why word, like why we made these choices. We play this feature with one hand only because of this motivation from an overall standpoint. Again, it's not on your caption, but it's like, this is why we're doing this. And there's, this is what we're going for. Is that coming across? Like things like that to provide information and also kind of elicit kind of reaction or just here's what we're going for. What do you think about it? You know, like, so kind of leading the discussion that way. Yeah. Those are successful um, kind of things because I learned things about what they're trying to do um, or any judge does. And you also have the opportunity to get feedback about, how that came across from an unbiased standpoint Yeah. Um, with that. So discussions about uh, numbers are generally not real productive. I mean, it's the, your group, the group's prerogative, you know, for, for sure. You know, as far as like, if you want to yeah. talk about comparisons, that kind of thing, and there's certain parts of the season where that's, you know, 
maybe more um, appropriate than others, or just more of a concern as, as we get yeah. later. But generally, those don't go too well. You don't. I mean, again, those are far and few between. Um, where come in and like recap gets put down on the table and it's like, well, let's see where like, can they <laughs> ex- examine the spread. Why would you say you know like that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, is it equal? Is it is the is the goal of critique simultaneously for the director, whoever's there, designer, to understand your opinion as well as for you to understand theirs? Here, here. I mean, ideally, critique would be like I just told you for ten minutes what I thought of your show. I, w- I would like for in critique for you to go, okay, cool. I, I got all the information. Here's maybe some other, here's the other, th- here's what maybe you didn't comment on. I want to make sure you understand these things about our show. Um, here's what we're going for this year. Um, this thing you had a question, like, and cor- not correct, but you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. dialogue about the things that maybe I had questions about. You're like, Ryan, there's a kid playing trumpet, playing bass drum. At the same time, like, you know, over on the right side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anything like that that can be, like, just informational. Just in, provide your motivations, you know, for, yeah. for things. And just um, clarify the, the, those things on the tape that maybe, you know, you came up. And then also have your agenda of things you want to get across as a designer, as a, as a teacher. Um, here's the things that are important to us this year. We're going after... Um, here's why we made these choices and here's, you know, where we're going with it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is, it so, is, it is one of the, the parts of the activity that I think, um, goes unsuccessfully pretty often. Um, and, and when I say that, I just mean like, it doesn't, um, it's, it's difficult sometimes to leave a critique feeling like you got all the information you needed or that you, sure. maybe more importantly, that you expressed everything that you needed to about your production. Right. Yeah. So I, I wonder what, what what we as an activity can do to, to better that communication so that it can be more successful. Hmm. Um, I think ideally for I mean, starting with the, the judge standpoint, I think it's ideally like it's the, the judge feeling like for those 10, those five minutes, three and a half minutes, I guess, critique that we're like on your staff, like, and we're, we're part, we're on your team. Like, yeah. it's not like a back and forth. I have points. You want them. It, yeah. it shouldn't, <laughs> I, I, that that's not productive for anybody. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty obvious when those people come in and kind of just are, you know, um, have that kind of attitude, um, have like maybe rather than a ton of questions, like three or four things that are really important, you know, like that you want to just discuss that are important. And anytime that the designer, the person that has their shows were performed, they've had feedback from the judge and then, then they can return that feedback with like, maybe more pointed questions as far as things that you're maybe already wondering about Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in the show. If you know you're going to see that judge at the evening show or next week or something like that saying, hey, if you see us again, here's like three or here's, here's these couple things that um, would love your reactions on. And you know, then do you, you keep a list of whatever that is? Or are you allowed yeah, to? Yeah, I have a, I have a, um, I, I keep notes for every group, you know, like in, in the show for, for critique. So um, if I'll see a group again, I'll, I'll try and make a note. I'm not saying I'm hundred percent successful, but I try and make a note of, if they tell me there's things they, that they would like me to see again, or just like specific reactions, pretty good about remembering that stuff. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. I didn't know that. So you, so most judges, especially by the end of the season, you've judged a couple of regionals, a couple of circuit shows. You have, a, yeah. you have, a, if not physically, at least a mental list of some kind of what the staff or the designers want you looking out for, for their production. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, th- more through conversation. I mean, yeah. it's not like it would be weird. Also, like if I had like a spreadsheet of like yeah, all my yeah. notes. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. You, you want to judge the performance of the day. Obviously, that's always you know the the, the mantra and what what we practice or do our best to practice. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you wouldn't want to go back and review like, well, you have all these couple things you wrote down for critique and have that bias you for, you know, what you're going to see, you know, that, yeah. that week too. So there's a, there's a fine line on this somewhere, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I think most times if people have mentioned things to me that are important enough, they ask like, say, Hey, can you check this out? If you see us again, like I tend to remember those things or maybe make a note somewhere. But. Yeah. So, okay. So um, I want to talk about whatever politics you think exist or don't exist in judging. Cause this is something that is, is, like every season I hear it. Um, and I, what I don't think is that there's like uh, preseason collusions between judges. Like this is what's going to happen. Although, although I, I, I know for certain that some people feel that way. Um, but okay. what, what is, what is probably yeah. what I would imagine is difficult on your end is it, bias to some extent would have to exist. Right. Well, I mean, we're all biased by our experience. Right. Guess, right. Yeah. By what we, per, what we prefer or what we, you know, what our background is and where we came from or what we're used to listening to or what we'd like to see. I, I, I mean, the key with all that stuff is not to, is to apply the sheet like evenly. Yeah. And there's been a lot of times where like there's things that I maybe are drawn, I'm drawn to as a, my preference artistically. Yeah. But I, you can't reward it on the sheet. Over so you have to, that, you have to intentionally um, well, subdue it's, certain feelings you have about productions. Of course. It's not, I'm not judging. It's not like Tom's favorite, you know, like yeah, that's, not, right. yeah. that's not, that's not who gets the highest. It's like the one that fulfills the criteria and the one that like, it's a mix of all that stuff, but it's not quite that clinical, but, um, are you guys allowed to, or I don't know if this is something that's even discussed. Do you guys watch, you said personally, you don't watch DCI shows, but do you guys well, watch? That's, that's not true. I mean, just not, not often, I guess. Not often. So, yeah. But do you, but yeah. during the course of a WGI season, do you guys, when I say you guys just judge, do you guys watch shows? Do you get on YouTube or anything or? Uh, I try not to. Okay. I mean, I mean, you see things. I mean, just yeah, of course, of course. A, a member of the society. Of, yeah, you know. social media yeah. things pop yeah, up. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see things, but like, yeah, I, I don't click on shows and that kind of thing or whatever. I mean, I try. Honestly, I think this gets to one of your other questions too. I try and the politics, like, try and stay out of that stuff too. Like, do you think it know. exists to any extent? I, I I've never seen anything like yeah. that. Yeah, I don't I don't believe that it Pol- does at all. Politics in what way? Like that there's like some sort of like behind the scenes like that we is, want this. Yeah, we I want think this that that is else. what people mean. Yeah, I, I do to some extent. I, I I don't believe that at all. I just I I think it's if I have a platform to give a judge the uh, the uh, ability to clean that up, I definitely want to do it because I don't I don't think that's the case, and I I think to some extent it robs a lot of successful ensembles of the uh the gratitude that they have well deserved sure uh i've never seen anything like that i there i would be absolutely shocked if there was any inkling of of that honestly if anything it's the opposite there's like such an not the opposite but there's there's a there's an encouragement to to react like on, on that night the way that you feel like you're hired for a reason because of your expertise and they trust you to do that. I've never been questioned about a number or like, you know, why did you, that's not what I thought should have been done or, you know, that maybe I, I don't know. I've never experienced anything like that in WGI. It's a very healthy and 
um, uh, performance of the of the night is what is literally what we kind of live by. Yeah. Literally, the last thing I always say, like before the show to everybody, it's like a fist bump, and it's like for the kids, you know. And that's not meant to denigrate young adults who are twenty two marching, but like it's literally about the experience of the performers and yeah. like reacting to their best efforts. Um, I can tell you, Mark, Caleb, Chris, those guys are like the highest integrity and I and very chill in their own way too. With, with this, it's not a you don't feel pressure to do a certain thing. You yeah. just feel you feel like they trust you as professionals. You're accountable for the information for giving 110 percent with commentary, attention to detail with your scoring, um, taking it as seriously as the groups do. Um, and as long as you meet those things, then you're, you're good. You know, it's like, yeah. but there's, but there's, there's literally zero match. I, you don't talk about, certainly we react like after the shows about like, you see so-and-so man, it's like, was awesome. You know, like, yeah. but it's, it's there, there's no, uh, dark rooms and cigars and, right. yeah. and uh, it's like, well, if, uh, you know, so-and-so goes on, you know, third from last, you have to make sure you have a, you know, these numbers. So that it makes that, you know, they, I, there's, there's nothing like that. Yeah. And I understand it. Cause I've had the same kind of, heard the same kind of conspiracies about the summer and you know, yeah. what it used to be and what, it, uh, whatever. But I think, I, I mean, I, from my, per I mean, I have been a part of your ensembles. I've known you for a while and I knew, you know, Chris Heston and I have met Mark Thurston. I don't know him personally very well, but my interactions with the entirety of the WJ organization has been nothing but positive. And I, I do feel obligated to, clear yeah. the name of WGI like hey it's not like that guy. Yeah. like I, it yeah. is it you know it, and I, I can't imagine that people and um such I don't as know if anybody are, I don't know anybody with biases and if there are any biases they're on a personal level with people uh it's certainly not organizational like yeah. I've never heard there's literally nothing like that if anything the opposite it's like we we expect these numbers to be different from night to night like performers don't perform the same night to night yeah it, it shouldn't be the same. Like, if the recaps were exactly the same night to night, that would probably be a bigger concern than yeah, yeah. Know, the other way around, honestly. Yeah. So, so is, I feel, is, personally, I feel totally empowered to react with the way that I feel. Um, and I'm not in fear of, like, you know, getting in trouble or anything like that yeah. or being talked to or any kind of adverse, you know, reaction to it. And that's 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 the best thing, honestly. Yeah. Just, is, yeah. There, is there anything is there any, uh, on this topic, is there anything that you – it could be the sheets. It could be uh, just yeah. perspective. Whatever. Is there anything that you you wish that designers and directors understood about judging that could make this activity better? Um. Well, I mean, not really. I mean, I guess if anything, just that we're fans too. You know, like we. It's, it's it goes back to that thing. It's not like we have points and you want them, and it's like that kind of adverse thing. It's like we. I think most of us, if not all of us, feel like we're. We really want to, the group that's on the floor, we're like, you know, we feel like we're on your staff for like 10 minutes and just yeah. trying to give you feedback and, you know, what we would do and that kind of thing that comes from a really genuine place of trying to help just because we love the activity, that kind of thing. The other thing I would say too is um, I wish everybody could like sit in the chair and see like 15 groups in a row and just like yeah. kind of and talk and give reactions, that kind of thing. Not because I want anybody to feel sorry for me or anything like that or any of us, that kind of thing. It's just a different experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it gives you a, uh, perspective. I don't know. 
Yeah, the same way we have empathy for for the groups, I think it gives a little bit of empathy for like the, maybe the the commentary you get and how to filter that after you hear yourself give it. You know, like in just terms of narrating kind of what you see and how you may evaluate. Do you go um, back and listen to your own I mean, tapes? I do. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, a couple from every week. I just, I mean, you want to be aware of how you come off. I think with with people, yeah. a couple reasons. I mean, you want you want to be aware of that. You want to. There's certain tapes like you know, like you. Like we always try hard, I know, I know, but like sometimes you just you, I hit hit click and it's like that wasn't a good tape. Like just mind to mouth wasn't working well, or just something. You know, you just want to listen to that again and make sure that you know somehow. Well, again, not pretension, but like I know how important it is. Like I listen to tapes all summer, and you know it's an important part of you know the progress of the ensemble to make sure that you know you come off the the way you intend to yeah, I guess of course. But, and then also just like things like your stuff's working correctly <laughs> you want to make sure yeah yeah with, with, with that too got a couple blank tapes that, that, uh, yeah my, mine always being down low in music too like I feel like I have to shout a lot too like over the volume of ensembles yeah and like the, the it peaks out on competition suite too all the time so I get least but oh yeah the, the end of every phrase like it's like you can't tell if I liked it or didn't so it's, or it's like really loud and you start shouting and then the ensemble is really yeah. quiet and you're like, <laughs> it's exactly, like really yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, the whole mic just shorts out like yeah. whenever it goes above DB. So yeah, but <laughs> that's all. I think it's, it's probably healthy for you to have, you have good perspective because you, you, you see both sides of it. Um, so I'm sure that's, that's beneficial to you on both ends on, you know, when you were going into critiques at DCI and then also, you know, as a, an arranger and then when you're going to critiques in WGI as a judge, it probably allows sure. you to be a lot more successful at those. Uh, I I like to think that one makes me better at the other, or hopefully yeah. uh, does does. I mean, I really I'm inspired when I when I watch you know when I'm judging groups. You know, it's like you just, again, it's like seeing the volume of like great music and creativity that comes through, and you get to see. It's not like you're stealing that stuff, but you're motivated by like just the energy and just like the I don't know all this great stuff happening. Um, also, like when I'm designing too, it's like I, you kind of go through. I mean, I still do things that don't sound great um, and make the same mistakes over and over again. But hopefully you make a little less of those every year. Just like just things that you find yourself commenting on or um, principles that start to kind of, you know, formulate um, just in terms of construction, things that can, that can help that, that way. Um, just how you kind of take in a show from a flow standpoint, yeah. um, you know, that kind of thing, sense of pacing and, um, what can stand out is the importance of, I think, just being unique um, in some way. Because um, a lot of us, maybe people that don't judge, but they just see their own shows a lot of times. You know, they see a couple others, but if you see 10 in a row, you kind of like, okay, like eight of these sound pretty similar. Maybe we could do something that's, yeah, you know, at least gives us a little bit of a identity or sets us apart a little bit in some way. Yeah. It's like we were, we we're talking about with, uh, with, with the design team at coach. It's the, it's the perspective necessary to get pulled out of your own ideas a little bit. Cause it's, it's sure. so tempting sure. throughout the course of WGI season to just come. And I yeah. hope that designers do, but to just completely fall in love with your products almost to like <laughs> yeah, a dangerous yeah. extent <laughs> like, <laughs> where you're like, you're yeah. like, all right, I got to take a step back here for a second. Like there's other stuff going on. Yeah. That's I mean, it's, that's passion though. I mean, that's right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's great. That, that comes through in the activity, I mean, for sure. Yeah. It's okay, so this uh, this is a question that Eric Bujari wanted me to ask. So, okay, so okay. if you if you switched your roles um, and you judged for DCI and you arranged for WGI, 
what would you want to what would you want to bring to the table for WGI as an arranger, and what would you like to see rewarded or critiqued more in DCI? Huh. Okay. Let me take the easy one first. Uh, rewarding critique more in DCI is the complete percussion ensemble, for sure. So like, rather than segmenting it, segmenting it and having uh, maybe a more focused reaction from a field level, I'd rather have somebody evaluating percussion all the time from a uh, position further back, I think. Yeah. Um, so they're taking in 100% of that stuff. Um, as far as bringing a WGI, I don't know. I have to keep that secret, uh, <laughs> just, just just in case. But uh, no, I mean, I certainly have thought about it before. It's more from a musical standpoint, but um, I think it's. I'm not saying I would I would do it, but there's a lot of percussion ensemble music. I think that I find it odd sometimes that we're a percussion activity and we spend a lot of time playing music that isn't designed for percussion. And granted, I mean. There's it's fantastic what's happening now, but there's I think a lot of cool things maybe from the percussion ensemble world um, that could be you know maybe referenced, adapted yeah. in some way, evolved. I think just, I don't know that doesn't seem to be that present right now. Um, so give us somebody a show idea for next year. There you go. Yeah, I'll have to pay you some royalties. All right, if anybody yeah. plays any percussion ensemble music next year, <laughs> any Tonger, I can check. Actually, if they play any, any percussion at all, they have to pay me. Yeah, okay. you're gonna be a rich man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, with all this stuff, I mean, you this seems like you're pretty crazy busy. You have all of your judging. Your do you arrange for currently gr- arrange for groups other than Bluecoats? Uh, a couple of high schools and yeah, drum corps in Japan, right for Okay, so how do you do? You have a system of organization for all this of any kind, um, or are you just flying by the seat uh, of your pants? Uh, it's probably not as organized as it should be. I mean, I for the for the band stuff, I. I'm getting better and have been better in the past couple of years about having like a calendar, you know, like of, uh, of dates and due dates and trying to stick to that stuff just so, cause, um, the bands I've been kind of, I don't do as many as I used to, but I do just a few and they're pretty serious about the way that they do things in, in, in all ways. So I want to make sure that they have all the stuff they need, you know, when they need it and it's not a lot of wiggle room you know, for them yeah. too. So it's important to stay in schedule and it's challenging over the summer for sure, uh, with that. So, so I guess I'm getting better, but I've tried to eliminate the number of things. I'm kind of at the edge of what I can do, I think yeah. with, with everything. Um, but not a critical, yeah. <laughs> not, not a critical mode yet, but cl- close to it. Yeah. I guess, especially this time of year, everything kind of converges band seasons kind of starting like, Percussion camps start happening like May and June. The drum corps in Japan just started like having their like camps. Their season goes to like January, but they it's a odd schedule. Of course, DCI is kind of ramping up, and yeah, you know, so all that. So okay, so yeah. um, all right, so I want to I'll give you a, a a second to uh push your own product if you like. But I did play with your sticks okay. recently, your brand new sticks, and they yeah. feel great. And I um um yeah. since you have now sticks and mallets, I'm interested to to kind of hear the uh design process on your end behind creating these implements uh well the mallets have been around for a long time well, yeah uh, 2010 um i think is when they were released i know we used them in 2010 maybe those season after or fall after that but so i've had those for a while the sticks were brand new um we uh prototyped them last summer a little bit we didn't we didn't use them as a line but we um we had a few different batches that got you know 
feedback and kind of work through that process with the, the Blue Coats guys um, as well. So, yeah, it was really a uh, cool experience for sure. Um, trying to think how it started. Um, I knew I liked kind of a little bit thinner of a stick, I guess. Not not a lot, just a little bit less in, in the grip area. I'd always kind of played with like FS2s and that kind of stuff. They were a little bit thin for me, actually. So something in between that and like the uh, like a normal size like, diameter is kind of what kind of went for. Was played around with like a reverse taper. I knew I wanted a round bead, or at least try to experiment with that, like a little bit of a, oversized to a to a to a kind of a larger round bead. Uh, hopefully, Why so it has. Well, a couple things. Uh, one, just like kind of angle to the drum a little bit, just for the movement kind of required to just like a little more forgiving, I think, with, with, with that as far as kind of contact and kind of the the, 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 the round of bead that way. Um, the main thing, honestly, was more like uh, the possibility of using Montenors as well. Mm. Um, it's getting a little more of a that kind of more of a characteristic kind of rounder sound uh, from from them. Um, and just through kind of feedback of what they, they might like to play with as well. Um, played a little bit around with like a reverse taper, that kind of stuff with trying to move weight around with all that kind of worked out to like a longer taper worked better for the bead size. And actually the, um, like the beads we ended up with were kind of a mistake. It was like a mistake on the, on the lathe or something that, that happened, but they ended up kind of cool and it was the same body of the stick and they just ended up sending goes and we both, we all agreed that they felt kind of the best. So those were like the, um, that was like the, the, we kind of realized that we kind of had it. We kind of, then we made like, uh, like nine or 10 pairs of those. And I got the guys in the, the um, blue coast last year, play, play with them. Um, went back and forth a couple times with, with all that. So how many prototypes cool. do you go to go through for something like this? Uh, say it had to have been at least like 10 to 12 different oh, wow. kind, of, kind of variations of, of things like that. So, Yep. So it's a mix of honestly, like kind of like what I like in my hand, because obviously I want to feel good about, you know, I do feel good about but putting my name on it and having yeah. it be something that says my name. But also, I'm not the one. I mean, it's it's also a stick for the blue coats in a way too. Like it's yeah. you know I want those, want those guys to want to play with it and feel good to them. So um, trying to find that compromise was the, you know, that was kind of the process of, yeah. of all that. So. Yeah, well, they. So I think I think they feel fun. great. I think you did a good job for what it's worth. Thanks, man. <laughs> I think they feel good. Thanks, man. I think I think they do feel definitely feel different on a drum than they feel on a pad. Like I, like for me, they're very responsive on, on a drum just because yeah. the the, the yeah. way um, they re- rebound pretty pretty quickly. Um, I actually haven't yeah. drummed with them on a pad. I've only drummed with them on a drum. Uh, oh. One of my students had a pair. Um, I, I don't. I don't really remember how they got this. I don't know if they were out. I don't know what happened. I didn't know that you had a stick, which seems weird. I feel like if you would have, if you had launched the stick already, it just seems like something I probably would have heard of. Um, and yeah. I saw it. I was like, what is that stick? And I was like, oh, is this Tom Rarick's stick? And then I like played with it a couple times. And I thought it felt great. I was just, and then it you're got like, launched. So like, I've never seen him play the drum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No, but I, I, I don't know if we got, maybe Lebanon High School has some uh, secret agents or something sneaking behind the scenes. And sure. percussion. Yeah. <laughs> Something going on. Yeah, but, but but no, it was a very very cool process um, to do that, and still a little bit surreal well, with all that. But. Well deserved, dude. I it and I <laughs> for what it's worth. I mean, I I I was super excited for this podcast because um, you know like everybody kind of has like that er- or maybe a specific or at least like an era of drum lines that kind of like when you see it, you're like, all right, that 
That's my thing. And for me, that was like 2009, 2010, Blue Coats was like just oh, game changing. And I know it was like your first couple of years there. So I like, it's crazy now, like being able to speak with you like this. Cause like for the longest time, it's like idolized you and your, your music and, and all kinds of stuff. So it's great. I, 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 um, I'm glad that, you know, hopefully anybody who listens to this will be able to at least take some of this stuff away because I, I know how much sure. you have to offer. And I know you're a humble dude. Um, but I want to make sure that you understand. And I, when I, uh, when I posted this stuff on, on Facebook and Instagram, I was doing your podcast. Um, I usually try to get, you know, I want to, I want to know what my audience wants to hear from you. And it was, it was sure. an insane amount of feedback, like all <laughs> of this stuff. So, yeah. um, yeah, so you, oh, I mean, you've, you've done a lot of good for the activity, both for DCI and WGI. And I, uh, you know, I really, I appreciate you being on here and I, I, you know, I, I've learned a lot for the last two hours, I guess. So if, you know, if nobody else takes anything away from it, at least, you know, I got smarter hey. from it. <laughs> well, Oh, it was fun. It's, it's an honor to talk to you, uh, Ryan. And, you know, really cool to see what you're doing with your life, too, with, with Lebanon and, you know, all the performance experience that you've had, both with the Blue Coats and, and otherwise. And it's been a pleasure to get to know you. And I, I really hope this goes well. It's, it's whole Marching Arts Society and, yeah. and, and all that for you. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, so thanks, thanks a lot, man. Time. I appreciate it. Yeah. I hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please reach out to me at Ryan Ellis at marchingartsociety.com or you can message me on Facebook. If you're looking for more content like this, you can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram.